Hey guys, and thanks for checking out this episode of the John Campia Show podcast, the audio-only version of the John Campia Show on YouTube. This episode was recorded on Tuesday, May the 12th, 2020, titled Mulan, Tenet, and Wonder Woman keeping their release dates, but should they? And remember guys, listening to the podcast means you can also send in questions to be read during the live questions part of the show. Just use the tip link that you see in the description of this podcast, streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'd be supporting the channel and getting your question or comment read during the show. And for now, let's get to the episode. The absolute top musical that has taken over the world over the last number of years is, of course, Lin-Manuel Miranda's Hamilton. And, you know, I was a little late to it. It had already been out for about a year by the time Ann and I got a chance to go out and watch it at uh, in Los Angeles here. And it completely lives up to the hype. It is an amazing show, like just jaw dropping, amazing show. Loved it. Now, of course, we talked about this a couple of months ago where Disney bought the rights for seventy five million dollars, bought the rights to professionally film the live stage show as it was going on. And they were going to release that video. They were going to release that professionally produced recording of the stage production. And they were just going to release that in theaters in October of 2021. Now, the one thing, Rob, you and I kind of raised our eyebrows out a bit because we were like, oh, yeah, Hamilton, super popular. Oh, just not a movie version, but you're just filming the stage. OK, that's interesting. But the one thing we raised our eyebrows out was why October of 2021? <laughs> right. Like, it's not like you have a load of post-production to do and it's done. But why 2021? Well, it ain't October of 2021 anymore. It's now in like a month and a half. It's coming out in July. Uh, Disney released the news today that they are going to put it on Disney Plus on, I believe it's the 4th of July. I think that's when they were saying it. So it's coming out in July. Of course, how proper that a show like Hamilton would come out on the 4th of July. Absolutely proper. But Rob, this is a massive shift on two different fronts. On front number one, it is a massive date shift. I mean, this is not just bumping something a, a couple of months or whatever. This is well over a year. This is well over a year of a shift that they're going from October 2021, which, again, I never understood why they felt the need that it had to be in October of 2021 in the first place, but whatever. So this is well over a year moving it up. That's main shift number one. The second main shift that can't be overlooked here is that that October of 2021 was going to be a theatrical release. They were going to do the thing of just taking this stage, the recorded stage play, put it out in theaters. Now it's coming out on Disney Plus. And it's going to raise the question on both accounts, why? Why move it over a year? And then why make that shift from theatrical to Disney Plus? And I think both of those things have the same reason. And that reason is because they got nothing on Disney Plus. I honestly think that's the bottom line. That's the reason for both. You know, in the Variety article itself, they actually go out of their way to point out the fact that not only has Disney Plus, which, listen, you know, I love the Mandalorian. You know, I love the Mandalorian and their library is great. They have a great library of content on there. But aside from that, it's been. um workshop heroes hosted by justin long and i adore justin long i do but whatever be our chef the cooking show with angela from the office and i love angela from the office i do but 
it has been to call what Netflix or what not Netflix to call what Disney has put out on Disney Plus in terms of original programming. Now, how long are we into it, Rob? Three months, four months, five. I lost track. What are we at? More than six months, I think. Wasn't it November? or it was November or December. So January, February, March, April. We're getting, let's just say we're getting, at minimum, we're getting close to six months. Meanwhile, Netflix is somehow putting out 32 pieces of new content every hour. I, I, I mean, I just, I don't know how Netflix is pulling it off, but it seems like every single day, and that's part of the reason why they're so bad at marketing what it is they have on their, on their, on their, uh, on their network. But Netflix continues to crank out content every single effing day. And I'm I'm not going to lie. Listen, you know I'm a big Disney fan. I like Disney very much. I'm very excited about Disney Plus, and I love The Mandalorian. But the fact of the matter is, in my estimation, they dropped the ball on their launch. The, the, and, and now, granted, the COVID-19 thing came up. But even before that, a lot of people, a lot of fans of Disney had been a little bit grumbling. And I think that this move with Hamilton is a direct response to the fact that, number one, Disney's had no high-profile stuff to come out. A couple pieces, but essentially over five, six months, they've got nothing to come out. But number two, their problem is compounded by the fact that right now, nothing's in production either. So it's not like they're ready to go. It's like, okay, uh, July 1st, okay, restrictions are easing. Now we've got all this stuff to put out. No, they still won't have anything to put out because production shut down. So, Rob, I look at this, and despite the fact that it was a big $75 million investment, I think this move of a year up and the move of by putting it to Disney Plus is a pretty smart move simply because this is a network that while getting a lot of people's goodwill, like myself and a lot of you guys, 54 million of us have signed up for Disney Plus. 54 million of us signed up for Disney Plus. But the fact of the matter is, you are hearing the grumbling. I'm grumbling. Uh, And I'm still a member. I'm still signed up for it. I don't plan on canceling it anytime soon, but I'd be lying if I didn't tell you I'm thinking about it. Because while it's really cheap, I'm not getting anything. I think them moving this was a very shrewd move, a very smart move, but also a very desperate move at the same time because they need to have something. And Rob, listen, taking the number one musical stage show in the world and putting an exclusive onto your streaming service, that maintains that shine a little bit. That maintains the shine shine a little bit. So while I do believe it's a move of desperation on their part, I also believe it's a pretty smart move. Uh, This is a high-profile project. It's global IP recognition. It's also just very, very good content. And this will make a splash. So desperate, yes. Smart, also yes. So I don't know, Rob, you heard this news. You took a look at this. What do you make of this whole thing? Well, like you, I think it's a great move. Uh, look, this is a marquee thing. This the the Hamilton is popular with all ages. It's definitely a four quadrant piece of entertainment, and I think that that this is an exciting thing. And there's a lot of people, John, that haven't seen Hamilton, that have heard about it. It's become part of the part of the pop culture lexicon. And now to put this out, people can watch it over and over and over again the way they listen to the album. And I think that it's it's. I would have done the same thing if I had Disney Plus because this is something people can't get 
anywhere else. There's none of the other streaming uh, platforms have anything like this. This is this is the, this is a, a 98 pound or whatever you call it. The, this is a 108 pound gorilla. I mean, this is a huge piece of programming for them to drop. And I think there's going to be people to sign up to Disney Plus just to see this. I mean, it's certainly cheaper than tickets for the whole family. And uh, I, I think it's a good move. And like you said, there wasn't a lot of post-production involved. I mean, sure, they'd have to it'd have to be edited together and it'd have to be mixed. But I'm sure that was done fairly quickly. And it's probably been done for a while. So I think this is a great move. And we all win. I'm looking forward to seeing it. I can't wait. And, and to compound on what you were just saying about the fact that, you know, it's you know, you can't go to a theater right now to see it. You can't no. go to a live show. I mean, that's the thing. If you want Hamilton, you can't go to a live production of it. You can't no. go to a movie theater to see it right now. And so, yeah, I, I think this is a pretty smart move in their point. And I think you're right. I think this is something that not only keeps the shine on Disney Plus for a little bit, it, it is a piece of content that will motivate uh, some people who may not be on Disney Plus right now to sign up for Disney Plus. And that's a good move. But Rob, I got to tell you too, the more I thought about this situation with Disney Plus and the lack of content and whatever, I got to tell you, I I give Netflix a hard time sometimes. You know, the fact that they're the worst in the world at marketing their material and I'm not a big fan of their original movie. They have some 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 diamonds in the rough, for sure they do. But, you know, overall, the, but, you know, when you really sit down and look at their, uh, at what, how Disney Plus has been able to launch for good or bad. When you look at the way Peacock has been rolling out, when you look at the coming out of the gate and falling on its face, Quibi has done. It can't, you can't help but stop for a second and go, wow, Netflix really knows this business because Netflix is constantly adding new content they are just doing it right and i think seeing other people trying it you know it's kind of like the mcu right it's like you know the mcu is great but you don't really realize how good of a job the mcu has done until all the other studios try putting out comic book material and it's like wow it really makes you appreciate just how good the mcu has been and what they've done and seeing i think for me the struggles of a disney plus the struggles of a CBS All Access or whatever the hell they're going to be calling themselves, the struggles of a Quibi, the struggles of I think I think HBO Max is going to do just fine. I think HBO Max is probably going to crush it because they've got some experience here. But all of this has really just made me appreciate, you know what? They're just the standard thing now. But holy crap, Netflix does a really good job. A really good job. And they haven't left you and I in a lurch. Like while this whole lockdown's been going on, they've continued to put out new content, new content, new content, because they just seem to have a production pipeline, 15 billion in debt. No, like I'm not going to overlook that, but they just seem to have this production pipeline there. Guess what? We can hit a three month shutdown in production and they still have oodles of, of production to give us. Well, also, you know, they're constantly dropping stuff from around the world. Like yeah. there's a new uh, there's a new show. Was it Into the Sun or something? Uh, it's Spanish or Danish. I don't even know what it was. I was watching some of it where sunlight kills people. So it's about this plane that's constantly flying in the darkness to try, try and escape the sun. And and it, I mean, I started watching it. I'm like, I don't even know what this is. It just looked like a cool sci fi premise. I got locked in. I'm like, I don't even know where this came from. 
but it, it showed up in my feed. I'm like, I'll watch that. And suddenly I'm watching something I'd never heard of before. There's a lot of that on Netflix. I mean, Netflix is great to just, if you're not doing anything and you're sitting around hanging out, you click on Netflix and just specifically look for something, the, the most obscure thing that you've never heard of. Like if you want to find something science fiction related or horror related or fantasy related that you've never heard of before, it's on Netflix and it usually is pretty good. And and that's that's amazing. Whereas these other streaming services, you look for something new. There's nothing new, you yeah. know. Now Hamilton's what the only piece of new. Uh, there's no new Jeff Goldblum show. The Mandalorian documentary to me, like we've talked about, has turned out to be kind of a, a huge disappointment in terms of what I wanted out of it. And I'm like, what's new on there? Am I gonna watch Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea again? Well, it's never a bad idea. No, it's never. never a bad idea, but still. <laughs> oh, the black uh, hole. Let's do. Uh, watch that again. Anyway, guys, the question here for you is, what do you think about this move from Hamilton? Were you surprised to see about the move? Are you excited about Listen, I'm telling you, I know not everybody are Broadway show people. I am telling you, Hamilton is pretty special. Hamilton is really special. So when it does come out, I encourage you to get to check it out. So anyway, guys, give me your thoughts. Jump down to the comment section below and let me know what you guys think. All right. With that down, let's move on to this. You know, Rob, it was just a, a not a, maybe a week or two ago. We were talking about the fact that Christopher Nolan and Warner Brothers, at least for now, seems to have his back. Christopher Nolan seems hell bent on making sure that his Tenet movie gets released on July 17th. Up until now, Warner Brothers has had his back on that and have been sticking with him and wanting to stick with that release date. By extension, they have also been pretty firm in keeping their Wonder Woman release date, which is only set for one month, roughly a month, right after Tenet. So they've been kind of holding firm on that. Now, any day now, Warner Brothers can come out and start really pushing a marketing campaign for Tenet, or they may come out and say, you know what, we're just not comfortable and we will pull it. But for now, the Warner Brothers line is we're holding July 17th. And we're holding our early our, our August release date for Wonder Woman as well. So there's two. But you can add another movie to the one that it looks like they're going to keep it because there was some question about whether or not Disney was going to move Mulan. Well, anything can change. But as of right now, Disney seems like they are actually pretty resolute. You know, we're going to hold that release date. I mean, it can change. They're not betting their life on it. But they've just come out and reaffirmed that, no, we're looking at this release date. Now, this comes this quote comes to us from the new CEO of Disney, Bob Chapek or Chapek or however you pronounce Bob's last name. No, it's Chapek. You're right, Chapek. It's Chapek. Bob Chapek, the CEO, was being asked about it. And this is what he says. At Disney, we're a bunch of optimists. I think that's a good date for this title. Of course, they're looking at July 24th, one week after when Tenet is supposed to release. I think that's a good date for this title. You have to balance. This is actually very key what he says here. You have to balance people's anxieties about going out in public with their pent up demand. And that's I love that he said that because that's something I've been saying for a while, Rob. It's like, yes, you do have to understand that once they even do start opening theaters again, whenever that is, once they do, you are definitely and understandably going to get one segment of people that are going to be cautious apprehensive about, you know, easing back into going out and stuff. But at the same time, there's going to be a counterbalance to that, that there are a lot of people who are itching to get out and to go to these things again. Um, so it's going to be a balance of those things. And I think Bob Chapek is pointing out here. We recognize that. Yeah, there will be people that are going to be very cautious, but there's also a lot of pent up demand. People want to go to the movies. People yeah. want to get out. 
And obviously, that doesn't take precedence over doing it safely and doing it right, of course. But if those cases present themselves, then we think this is a good date. Now, he goes on to discuss this a little bit more, and he says, in that particular case, talking about Mulan, I think that can be managed. I think it will be up to our exhibitors who we partner with. Exhibitors is the movie theaters. Uh, and Bob Chapek calls them their partners. In this particular case, I think that can be managed. I think it will be up to our exhibitors who we partner with. I think that is a very good release date, though, for that particular title. So, Rob, we get ourselves into a situation here where now we have Warner Brothers is saying we're keeping July. And remember, we are still more than two months away from that. Like we keep forgetting, like I feel like we've been talking about July 17th for so long that it kind of feels like it's right around the corner. It's still over two months away. Yeah, it is still over two months away. We got to remember that. And who knows what the world is going to look like in two months. But Warner Brothers holding on to that date for Tenant. They are currently holding on to that date for about a month later with Wonder Woman. And now Disney comes out and says, yeah, as of right now, our plan is still to release this movie on that date. Rob, you and I have discussed that at some point, it's good to say you're holding on to those dates, but at some point you have to pull the trigger, open up the bank accounts and release a ton of marketing money to really start marketing those things. Right now, that seems like a gamble. seems like a gamble. But how long can you wait? How long can you wait before raising awareness, starting the the marketing push, getting the buzz engine going. How long can you wait to do that? At some point, these studios are going to have to move from saying we are resolute in releasing on these dates to actually backing it up and start marketing these damn things, which raises the question, is it even a good idea that they are entertaining these dates? Because I'll tell you this, as a film fan, I love that Warner Brothers is saying we're keeping July 17th for 10. I love it. I love that Disney's now saying we're going to keep July 24th for Mulan because I've been dying to see both of these movies. I love that they're saying Wonder Woman 84 is still going to come out in its August release date. I love that on the one hand, the film fan side of me. On the other side is, is July going to be too soon? And we've talked a lot about that too. Is July going to be too soon? Are we getting too close two months out still, but are we getting too close where they can't just make it theoretical anymore? They've got to pull the trigger and do something on this. So Rob, let me put this over to you. You now see Disney getting on board with this. You're seeing Warner Brothers and Disney now saying we've got these early release dates. We're holding on to them. But can these movies actually come out on these dates as a lot of us are hoping for? How are you seeing this whole situation? Well, you know, it's 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 really dependent on what happens with the reopening of the economy. Uh, I mean, obviously, there's two months. It, it's poised to work. Like, I think now is it's it's the right decision because you're still two months away from the opening of Tenant, so they can still advertise the heck out of it. But let's face it, the economy is just starting to open up, and there's no telling how it's going to go. Is there going to be massive flare-ups with COVID-19? Are they going to are they going to have are they going to realize that we've gone too far too fast? I mean, they're finding out in South Korea. You know, they've reopened the economy. There's flare-ups. It'll really depend how that all goes with the economy. I mean, our economy has to open. You know, we can't we can't stay closed forever. So I think assuming that the, the economy reopens effectively and they're able to manage what's going on, I think they've got two months. I mean, they're poised to do a great job with all three of these movies. And, John, I want to see all three of them. 
And like you said, I want to go back to the movie theaters. And it's still, Tenet doesn't open for a little over two months. That's a long time. I mean, look at look at where we are. It hasn't even been two months since we've been locked down. So there's a whole nother two months to go before the movie opens. So a lot can happen. And we'll we'll know we'll know where we're going. I, I dude, I just want to see Tenet, man. I'm so excited <laughs> to see this movie. I mean, look, if I have to wear a hazmat suit and a rebreather, all to, as long as I have enough oxygen that'll get me through the entire movie, if that's what I have to do, that's what I'll do. I I want to see this movie. I want to see this movie in IMAX. I want to see it on Hollywood Boulevard, which is probably not the place that I want to go the most in, in, in California right now. But if I can get into that Chinese theater, man, woohoo, bring it on. So, but, but then it raises the question though, you know, the, the time two months is such an eternity right now. I know. But at what point there has to be a cutoff date? Cause I remember it's not just, they can't just make a decision about this the week before because there is the whole marketing aspect. So now we're seeing this is no longer just Tenet. Now we've got this triumvirate of three big, highly anticipated movies in Christopher Nolan's Tenet, in Mulan, in Wonder Woman 84. Where is that line? Where's that cutoff date? Where is that drop dead moment where it's like, if you're going to do this, you have to actually start moving on it and start pouring in marketing numbers by this state. Now, the, the one saving grace they have is because there are no other movies out. You can probably shrink that window a little bit because you're not competing with the marketing of 25 other films at the moment. So you can probably shrink that little that window a little bit instead of your normal three months out, which were already closer than three months. So you're not fighting with a lot of other marketing. That's good. That's working in their favor. But there still has to be a cutoff date. Rob, you are both CEO of oh. Disney and Warner Brothers. Somehow, in a massive power move, they both just realized we both need Robert Meyer Burnett as our CEO. Where do you tell your generals at this point, we have to make a decision by this date? When do you see that date being that they've got to just, as you know, my my father would say, shit or get off the pot? When do you see that date? Well, look, the the real the real thing is the question is, are people going to feel safe going back to the movie theaters? Are they going to feel safe? All indications are they open Shanghai Disneyland. People are going. People are going out to the beaches. People are going to restaurants or wherever they've opened. It, it really depends. Are people going to feel safe going to movie theaters? And the thing is, we don't know because movie theaters aren't open. So the prospect of going to the movies, we're not going to know. So I would say I would split it into 15-day increments. I would say, look, we have to decide whether we're going to do this. Our cutoff is June 1st. We need six weeks to market these movies, period. But then I would say, uh, if we're not, if we're, if we decide on June first that we're going to light this candle, then we're still going to have to look every fifteen days leading up to that because Tenant is probably going to be the first. Is it? Is it? Who? Who opens first, Mulan or Tenant? Tenant, you know, uh, Tenant. Okay. Tenant opens first on the seventeenth. Mulan so this, theoretically this, right. opens the week later on the twenty. So I would say June first. You're you're six weeks out. So I would start ramping up my advertising next week you know i'd start dipping there's people are watching tv there's no better time to advertise and i'm sure by this time they've got some kick-ass tv spots for this movie both mulan and tenant i mean mulan was going to open so they've already got all their advertising material ready to go yeah, i'm yeah. sure tenant does too but i would start ramping up the advertising the spigot would turn on friday this may 15th my birthday and then 
every 15 days after that, they'd have to decide. But by June 1st, you're either going to light the candle or not. And then after that, I, I mean, up to June 15th, if you get past June 15th and things look good, that's it. You're you're going. I think June 15th is the absolute cutoff date for when you turn off the spigot. You're still a month out. You know, you you still you've ramped up all you can. But if it doesn't look good, you've still got a month to pull back and you haven't blown your entire wad. But you've shot enough out that people are like that movie looks kick ass. But I mean, you've got to at least do enough advertising where awareness is built. So yeah. you're going to go from May 15th to June 15th. June 1st is when you're like going to decide to light this candle. And then June 15th would be your abort. The rockets are fueled and the engines are firing. You can still abort at June 15th, but then you've got enough awareness out that your marketing dollars haven't been totally wasted because people are like, I want to see that. So, and that would last for six months. You know, you can dine on, you can dine on that, but it's got to be a saturation marketing campaign. So I would, that's how I would do it. Start this Friday, decide June 1st, if you're going to light this candle, and then go full bore and by june 15th there's your abort button but if you go past june 15th you're opening right now of course all this all this is dependent on the movie theaters saying yeah we'll open our doors yep, that's true if the movie if the movie theaters say we're not opening our doors that that kind of solves the problem doesn't it you don't even have to worry about it anymore all right the question here is guys for you what do you think about the fact that now we have two major studios with three major films all saying they're going to be opening within this month or so window of Tenet, Mulan and Wonder Woman 84? Do you think they're going to be able to make that? And when do they need to make a real commitment by spending the advertising dollars to start moving on this? I want to know what you guys think. It's the biggest issue in the world in movies right now, to be honest with you. Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts all right guys listen with that stuff down and out of the way we're going to just go right into live questions here today a bunch of you guys have been sending in the live questions and there's two ways you can send those in the best way uh, is by using the tip link, which you can see in the top line of the description of this video. And that is simply streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. That is the best way you can send it in, all that kind of stuff. Now, if you can't do it that way, you can use the super chat feature here on YouTube, which you can see in the side there. All right. With that down, guys, we're going to start going through all the tip questions first from the tip link. So let's jump over and start getting into these. And the first one we've got coming in here today comes to us from Anthony, who tip $50. Thank you so much for supporting the channel on that level, Anthony. We really appreciate it. And listen, since it's $50 or more, if there is a question here, we're going to answer your question now and we're going to answer it in its own standalone video in the next couple of weeks. So keep your eyes open for that. All right. Anthony writes. I'm not too thrilled with the High Republic. I'd rather go to the future Star Wars with uncertainty and see a new Jedi Order one to 200 years after Episode 9. I like that idea. Over under 30%, we get to that point. Also, what are the chances for the Knights of the High Republic game? All right. Rob, you know, they've been talking about the the High Republic era, that that is where Star Wars is focusing a lot of their storytelling right now. We we saw mm. that video about their writer's room, basically, of creating all this stuff for the High Republic. I didn't love what I was seeing, but there's a lot of there is potential there. I'm somebody who I prefer stories moving forward in time. I, I don't generally like going back, but if you're going to go back at least a few hundred years, so it's not handcuffed to the events of the movies we already know, then I'm okay with it. I am okay with the high Republic with them trying high Republic stuff. I mean, I've got my feelings on how it looks so far, but the reality is I haven't seen anything yet. I haven't right. seen any of their actual product yet. So I'm going to remain optimistic. It's a very good 
uh, writer's room they put together, including Claudia Gray, who wrote some tremendous Star Wars novels, including my second favorite Star Wars novel, which is Lost Stars. So they've got a good pedigree of talent in there. But I got to tell you, I prefer that idea of saying Star Wars Episode 10 in 2023, and it picks up 80 years after the events of Episode 9. And so you bring in Betty White to play Ray, which I think would be, which like, come on, Betty White playing Ray 80 years in the future. Um, and it's now you have the new I guess we have to call it the new new republic. The new new republic is established. There are new threats in the galaxy. There is a reestablished Jedi order that looks a little different. From, I prefer that idea, but uh, but I'm OK with what they're doing with High Republic. What do you think? Well, you know, like you, I, I, the High Republic can be interesting to me, but this idea of going backwards, um, I, what, 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 what that is, it's, it feels like it's a, it's a, it's an incontinuity reboot, in that they're going to go back in time and they're going to tell us a whole new Star Wars story based on whatever they've come up with as opposed to whatever was already established. And when you move forward, you take what was already established and build from that. So there's a familiarity. But when you go back to the High Republic, I think what we're going to get is an amalgamation of a bunch of other stuff that isn't necessarily Star Wars. You'll get lightsabers and you'll get the technology, but they're going to make it whatever they want to make it as it as it's of today, as opposed to looking back the 43 year history of what Star Wars is. So I prefer moving forward because I don't want to see Star Wars turn out. I know you like Star Trek Discovery, but Star Trek Discovery is supposed to be canonical and adjacent to the original series of Star Trek. And it, it, it just isn't. And so the, the High Republic going back in time. If it feels like Star Wars, okay. But if it's just set in the Star Wars universe and it feels modern or it's an amalgamation of everything else from Lord of the Rings to Harry Potter to take your pick, and it's it, Star Wars is the last thing they're basing it on, then it gets a little like, eh, this doesn't really feel like Star Wars. But I'll wait and see. I liked Shadows of the Empire when they did that whole yeah. business. And if they're, if they're following that lead, it was a multimedia event without a movie. It had toys and video games and books and all that. I liked it. You know, and I like the N64 game quite a bit. So if it's like that, cool. But like you, I would love to see where is the Star Wars universe? Where does it go from here? You know, is it is it just perpetually? Is there going to be a first first order or the first next order or whatever? Is is the Empire going to rise again? And do they fight that battle perpetually? Or do you get something Uzang like Vong, you, buddy. Yeah, the Uzang Vong. Say, the Yuzang Vong was awesome. I, I love that. I love that idea. And I don't think they would do that, but it'd be cool. Just I, I love saying Yuzang Vong just because it sounds cool. But yeah, I would like to see what happens next. All right, let's keep moving on here. Uh, Con Jampia writes, Hugh Jackman and Keanu Reeves are regularly listed as two of the most genuinely nice people in Hollywood, and, and they are. Uh, do you, Rob or Aaron, have any stories uh, of actors slash actresses who left a strong impression on you as truly nice people or even the opposite, love the show. Well, I won't talk about the opposite. Yes, I've had a couple of experiences <laughs> with celebrities who weren't so nice. But, you know, I never like to judge somebody based on one experience where you might have just caught them in a bad moment or in a bad day. So that's whatever. Um, to me, there are two names that, that really come to mind uh, for me of it's just extraordinarily nice people. I mean, Helen Mirren was one. Or, I mean, there's a lot of names I could mention, but two that really stand out. 
One to me was, uh, but I'm biased to this, is Milo Ventimiglia from This Is Us. Um, and of course, he was in Heroes. He was Peter Petrelli because he is responsible for me meeting my wife. I mean, it was it was his. He invited Anne to be at this party that I was throwing for him and this movie that he had just done. And because he invited her along, uh, I got to meet her that night and... We've been together ever since. So I have a very, but seriously, Milo is one of the biggest sweetheart guys I have ever met, like ever met. He he was just, he's a tremendously nice guy. The other is Chris Pratt. Um, I first met Chris Pratt when he came into studio, him and um, Vince Vaughn came into my studio because they were doing a movie together called The Delivery Man. And so they both came into studio and they both hung out with Anne and and then they sat down. We did this interview and then they hung out in our offices for two hours because they they asked, hey, if we come do this video of this uh, interview at your office, can we then hang out in your office for a couple hours to do? We're supposed to do this live Twitter uh, interaction thing afterwards. And I said, yeah, sure. And they just hung out in our offices for two hours. And listen, Vince Vaughn was also wonderful, by the way. Vince Vaughn was so cool to be around. But Chris Pratt was super sweet, super nice, all that kind of stuff. Then fast forward a, a, a year or two, a couple of years, he comes into studio again, him and uh, Kevin Feige and James Gunn come into studio to do this special live stream that we did talking about Guardians of the Galaxy. This was a couple of months before it came out. And again, Chris could not have been cooler. He was just engaging in like just it was like he was coming up to me all like the whole evening and say, hey, what do you think about this? And, blah, blah, blah. and it was just awesome to see. But here's the thing with about Chris Pratt. Now, fast forward like a year later. OK. Oh, yeah. No, it was more than a few months before it came out. It was like a year before Guardians of the Galaxy came out. So fast forward like forever later. Remember, these celebrities, they meet and talk to about 50 different press people every day, every day. So I don't expect anybody to remember me or anything like that. But anyway, Guardians of the Galaxy is coming out, Rob. And I go to do the press junket. This is back when I still did press junkets. So I go to do the press junket and I'm waiting for my turn to go into the room with Chris Pratt. And the door opens and I walk in and there's normally a PR person that introduces you to the star. She goes, okay, so this is, and Pratt goes, John. I'm like, holy crap. Like when somebody remembers your name, that tells me that when you were talking to them before, they were really invested in talking to you. They they wanted to make the person they were talking to be the center of their attention. And the fact that Chris Pratt did that just impressed me to no end. Like I walk in, it's like, John, I'm like, wow, uh, hi, Chris. And sat down and then he goes, by the way, how's, and he, and he paused for a moment. He goes, um, how's Ann doing? How's Ann doing? He remembered my wife's name. So one of my favorite stories is I come out of that meeting with Pratt and I immediately pick up my phone and I text Ann. I said, I walked into the room with Chris Pratt and the first thing he asked was, how's Ann doing? And Ann just freaked out <laughs> and just completely freaked. But anyway, those are two of the nicest, sweetest, coolest people I've had a chance to meet uh, uh, doing this stuff. Rob, you've got to meet being on all the sets you've been on. You've got to meet an awful lot of people. Who would you say stands out to you as like the, the sweetest, nicest person celebrity you've got to be around? There's actually quite a few like in my time doing dvd special editions i did a lot of long form interviews with people you know where you'd sit down with them for hours at a time the the entire cast of the next generation 
was was delightful. But I think of all the people that I've met, there there were two that really stood out to me. One was Jeff Bridges. Um, oh, what what a like it was. I it was for Tron. You know, I called well, first of all. We got in touch with him, and he's like, "Yeah, man, I'd love to talk about Tron." You know, and we went up and met him in Santa Barbara, and we were we got a. Um, um, a, a conference room at Fest Parker's hotel up there. And he just comes in. That guy couldn't have been nicer, more excited to be there. I mean, he was so cool and so fun and so like present, you know, he didn't have to do it. it we had no PR people. He didn't bring anybody. He just showed up himself. He was all, he was just that. That's if you, that's it, man, right there. That's, that's what he was like. And another person was Hugh Jackman. When when he walked in the room when I interviewed him, that guy exudes charisma. I mean, he walks into the room and he was um, uh, it was ama- he was amazing. He was he just lights up a room, and I, I, I you can't you you can't not be in his presence and feel better about yourself. And I'll tell you somebody else, the third person that I couldn't believe I ended up. One morning, I was going to see a screening of the movie Valkyrie that Brian Singer had directed. And I'm right. waiting there, and I got there early. Who rolls in? Tom Cruise, Katie Holmes, and Surrey. So it was just me, Mary, my friend Sean, and Tom Cruise, Katie Holmes, and Surrey. Like in, in this room at Laser Pacific in Hollywood. And it's just us. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I took the opportunity. I'm like, hey, man, you know, I'd never met tom cruise before and and he was he was at first he's like well who, you know who are you guys he was a little maybe a little apprehensive but then i explained to him that i was there for the screening and i was brian's documentarian and he was like oh wow and he started talking and i asked him i said let me ask you something because i figured tom cruise is here i said do you 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 had impeccable taste in your projects and i said do you pick your projects based on the filmmaker or the material, or is it a combination of the two? And he stops and he looks at me and he's like, that's a great question. And we ended up talking for an hour. And I just spoke extemporaneously about his entire career, like off the top of my head. He couldn't believe that I knew so much about his career. That guy was so engaged and so nice. And once he knew that I was asking him these questions about his career and choices he'd made and that I could rattle off the movies he was in. He, for an hour, that guy was so, he was so present with me. And, and it was funny because as we talked, people started to come in and Brian just was sitting there looking, looking, he stood right between the two of us and was kind of like listening. And Tom Cruise was like, I like talking to this guy. And Brian's like, it's his way. He'll get you to talk to him. And it was fantastic. That was the only time I've, but all three of those people Tom Cruise, Jeff Bridges, and Hugh Jackman all were amazing people to talk to, and uh, they impressed me to no end. All right. Nice stories, man. I like that. All right. Next one up, Ian uh, Carthers writes, Hey, John, if Amazon were to purchase AMC, they could use their grab-and-go like they have in their stores for the concession line. This would would save people time and post-pandemic. This would reduce the amount of time spent in large groups. Yeah, so I was talking about this the other day. Amazon's got this grab-and-go technology that they've been utilizing in some of their uh, brick-and-mortar stores where when you enter the store, you scan your Amazon Prime membership. So now it knows you're here. And then their sensor technology in their stores can tell when you've picked something off the shelves. And then all, you don't even have to go online. Once you've picked everything up, you just walk out. 
and it'll just automatically charge your Amazon Prime account. <clears throat> you just walk in, grab it, and leave. No concession, no no uh, cashier line, nothing. You just go. Now, there are, for instance, the AMC Theater at Universal City Walk. They've got kind of a modified version of that where you still have to get in line and pay for it. But basically, their setup is, and Rob, I don't know if you've, yeah, you've been to that AMC before yeah, uh, yeah. at University City Walk. You just, they've changed their concessions now where you walk in and they've got just popcorn, soda, everything out. It's all self-serve. You just walk around, grab what it is you want. Now, then you still have to go get in one line to pay for it, but you're not standing in that line where you go get in line just to wait to get to the cashier. Then you get to the cashier, you say, okay, I want popcorn, soda, and I don't know, M&Ms. Now you got to wait there another 30 seconds to a minute while that staff person runs around and gets everything. And meanwhile, that 30 seconds to a minute is another 30 seconds to a minute that everybody in line behind you has to stand there and wait. And so it creates this huge line. But at the AMC, Universal City Walk, it just goes. You Even if you get into a line with seven people, but you've already got your soda and popcorn, you're through that line in like a minute. Because all people have to do is just, here's what I got, pay, go. It's it. It's a really nice system. But you're right. If AMC were to buy them, implement that pay and go system where you don't even have to talk to a cashier at all. Free up those staff people to make sure all the the items are stocked and everything's fresh and everything's there for people. It, it would be great, man. All right, listen, Thanos for president rights. Really curious. In Earth 2, how glorious was Halle Berry's Oscar acceptance speech for Catwoman? <laughs> she must have thanked you. And how great was her cameo in the 2020 best picture, Cats? Gives me chills just thinking about it. Cap who? Mjolnir what? Yeah, a lot of crazy stuff. I keep trying to think of different things to mention about what's going on in Earth 2 from time to time. But some Halle Berry's, by the way, Halle Berry was featured on the UFC that they just had because she's doing this stuff with the UFC right now, which is really cool. She's a huge mixed martial arts fan, which is just makes me an even bigger fan of Halle Berry. Right. Willow writes. So why didn't you end up buying stocks in AMC? Were you nervous about the investment or were you just lazy? Lazy. Yep. Thank God my wife wasn't because Anne did buy a bunch of stocks in AMC. <laughs> she did. Uh, she did. She bought a bunch of stocks in AMC when it was at two dollars and eight cents. So let me hold a second. Let me see where it's at. Um, let me see where AMC stock is right now. Uh, it was at two dollars and eight cents when she bought it. It's now at five dollars and fifty six cents. It's more than doubled since she did. So I was not wise enough to jump on it. And then it wasn't it was just the other day that I woke up in the morning. She goes, oh, AMC stock went up to like whatever. I'm like, yeah, but I forgot to buy it. She goes, oh, no, no, I didn't need I didn't wait for you. I bought a bunch of it. I'm like, sweet. <laughs> so, yeah, but for me, it was really just laziness, Rob. It was it was just, you know, laziness. I thought about it and I was like, uh, but I didn't. I think it's still a good bet. Remember, at one point it was up to fourteen dollars. So yeah, less yeah. than a year ago. Yeah. And, and, and so and if you think it took a jump just by the rumor of AMC buying them, wait till the day they announce that they're opening back up. When they announce they're opening back up, I think I'm no stock expert. I don't know. But my guess is you're going to see their stock price jump like another buck. So at least I mean, that's the yeah. whole thing. It's all of these. There, there's there's bargains to be had now. There are, there are bargains to be had. I like that. Uh, all right. To be had. 
Uh, next one up here, a man named Pooh Bear writes, my top five trilogies. Number one, The Godfather. Number two, The Lord of the Rings. Number three, The John Wick series. Number four, Toy Story. And number five, the original Star Wars movies. Uh, personal personal think that The Godfather, Toy Story 3, and The Empire Strikes Back being basically perfect films. I mean, listen, it's, it's a really... In- Talking as more trilogies get made, the topic of the greatest trilogies becomes more and more interesting. To me, it's still Star Wars. That That's it. Then it's Godfather. Uh, then it's Lord of the Rings, which are very, very close. Actually, Godfather and Lord of the Rings could jump back and forth with each other. Uh, then it's probably Toy Story, um, which a lot of people... Rob, I find like you mentioned Toy Story and Greatest Trilogies. It's like, oh, yeah, I wouldn't even think about that. But it is truly one of the greatest trilogies of all time. If you don't count the fourth, it's one of the greatest trilogies of all time. It's like a 98% Rotten Tomatoes, 100% Rotten Tomatoes, and 100% Rotten Tomatoes. And beloved and glorious and all that kind of stuff. Rob, if you had to say your top one or two trilogies of all time, what would you say they are? Well, I would go Lord of the Rings. I mean, honestly. And I, I, I would have to say, even though the third part is a disappointment i would have to say the godfather because i love godfather one and two so much uh that godfather three to me is good enough that i think it could survive that but in terms of my enjoyment the the how enriched i feel whenever i watch movies the lord of the rings trilogy and the godfather trilogy uh leave me that way and And remember uh, all three were nominated for best picture yeah two of them won yeah like no so, other trilogy had all three films nominated for best picture. Oh yeah, no, those, I take that back. Lord of the Rings did too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I Except mean, but that, Godfather won two. Lord of the Rings won one. So and that, those, are, those are my favorite powerhouse films, man. Powerhouse films. All right, next up, uh, the Dan Man writes. Hey, John Rob, on another Earth, say that the DCEU launched with a film in 2008 instead of the MCU's Iron Man. They said DCEU film put them on the trajectory to match the success of the MCU as we know it today. However, the MCU struggled to find its footing just as the DCU did on our Earth. Curious to know whether or not you guys would have rather experienced this. I love both properties, uh, but but I would. DC has my heart. Thanks. Oh, I, I don't care. I don't care. See, here's the thing. Um, I would have preferred both of them came out strong and both of them succeeded on the same level. That's what I would have preferred. But when it comes to, would I rather corporate overlord master number one have success or corporate overlord master number two have the success? I don't care. All I care about is who's giving me good movies. That's all I care about. I don't care whether it's this brand or that brand or or whatever. I really don't care. And particularly when you're talking about comic book movies, I just love comic book movies. I just want Good comic book movies delivered. Now, Rob, I'm lucky in the sense that I enjoy, well, I more than enjoyed. I freaking love Man of Steel. And I enjoyed Batman versus Superman. And I enjoyed Justice League. And I really like Wonder Woman. And, you know, so I'm lucky in the fact that I did enjoy those films. For the most part, though, the DCU films, I don't think even the most diehard of DC fans will, will argue the fact that MCU had much more success. But... I really don't care which one did it and which if you're going to tell me one's going to struggle, one's going to do great. Which one do you want? I say, I don't care. I just I just want good movies. That's really all right. I care about. But but Rob, it's an interesting situation. What if, you know, DC had come out of the gate strong and established themselves first and Marvel kind of stumbled coming out of the gate? Like would that would have been something preferable or, or, or what, how do you see it? I, you know, I don't know. I, I To me, look, again, like you, I just want to see good movies. And I really enjoyed Man of Steel. I, I, I thought the tone, it was very different than a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. 
And I, I would have liked to have seen, I mean, look, you know me, I really loved Aquaman. We saw, I think I liked it a lot more than you because it was so bonkers. You know, I looked yeah. at it and I'm like, this movie is is straight up just balls to the wall fantasy. There's, It was way different than what Marvel was doing. And, and I, I think that, I think what was unfortunate was that there was an idea that there was competition at all. I think that the that that the people that were making the DC movies should never. I mean, they couldn't because of the amount of money that was being made over the across the street over Marvel. But they should have concentrated on building their own universe their their way rather than let's we got to make a Justice League movie because we have to compete with uh, what Marvel was doing. They didn't do what Marvel was doing. They didn't lay the groundwork or the foundation. They did not earn the success that the Marvel Cinematic Universe earned because the people that were running the studio at the time, like Kevin Sujahara, was was chasing after these big bucks thinking, well, all we have to do is make a Justice League movie and we'll make a Batman v Superman movie and throw Wonder Woman in. We're going to make as much money as the MC or the U is going to make. That's not how anything works. You know, and 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 I think that was a big mistake. So if the DCEU would come out first, they would have concentrated on building their own brand identity in a unique way that was theirs rather than try and be Johnny come lately's and chase success that was always going to elude them because they weren't doing what Marvel was doing in the first place, which was building a strong foundation before they started teaming up superheroes and making all that money or the money they didn't make. Now, you know, I disagree with you on that. I mean, you and I have different philosophies on that because I think in in that the underlying point that we agree on is that you start with a strong foundation. Yeah. See, I believe you can build a strong foundation with a team up movie out of the gate. A strong foundation is built on quality. You know, it's sure. built on it's built on quality characters. Quality I don't disagree movies. with you. Yeah. And, and I think we agree on that. I so I just don't see that. I don't believe that the Marvel formula of solo film, solo film, solo film team, solo film, solo film, solo film team, I, I, that works for them. And that's great. But I don't think that's the only thing that works. Like Avatar, again, you didn't need a solo Sam Worthington movie. And then you didn't need a solo Stephen no. Lang movie. You know, they just did Avatar. All the characters, boom, go. And Robert, the more I think about it, because you and I have talked about this before, too. The more I think about what the DCU could have been. If that um, Justice League script, that was a Justice League Mortal? Justice League Mortal, yeah. Um, if that movie had been made, and I just think, again, because my, my whole argument, you go back to Guardians of the Galaxy, you didn't need a Star-Lord solo movie, and then a Gamora solo movie, and then a Drax right. solo movie, and then do Guardians. No, they were able to do Guardians, but they made a good movie a movie that everybody rallied around and as much as i love man of steel they did they came out and they did a solo film first they did man of steel they did a superman solo movie first and too many people didn't appreciate it for the genius that that movie is but uh, that notwithstanding it's it's just but i think you're absolutely right what kevin sujahara did like he was a brilliant studio executive except for when it came to the comic book and and genre space when it came to the comic book nerd space he had some kind of blinders on because instead of doing what they did with a lot of their other properties which is what is our identity what is our plan whether it looks like marvels or is completely different than marvels whatever what's our plan and let's follow our game plan kevin sujahara did exactly what you just described he be he went into chase mode 
let's chase after Marvel. Look, how do we do what Marvel's doing? Right. And they did it. In, and I think that anal analysis you just gave was perfectly on the money. That's exactly what they did, which was so out of character for him, what he was doing with his other stuff with Warner Brothers. But when it came to that stuff, it was just this, let's just chase, let's just react to Marvel. That's what it was. It wasn't our own plan. It wasn't Warner Brothers having a plan. It was let's just react to Marvel and get, let's play catch up to Marvel instead of just, whether that meant doing a solo Batman, solo Superman, solo Wonder Woman, solo then Justice League, or whether it meant coming out of the gate, our identity is going to be this. Let's come out of the gate, first film, Justice League. Let's come out strong like that and then spin off individual films from that. Whatever their plan would have been, it at least would have been their plan, you know? And, and I think you're so right about that. They didn't have their plan. Their plan was, let's stare into Marvel's brake lights and just follow them along in the fog. And let's see if we can pick up, like, is this see if we can enjoy the same success that they are? And it just, well, uh, you it's know, frustrating. To, to me, like, I, I, I find things to like in Batman v Superman. But the real problem that I have is that you really needed to have a Batman movie first and, and give us a taste of who that Batman was because we already had Man of Steel. And, and I'm, I'm like, I want to know who Batman is. It, 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 they could have established because the Batman we meet, the Ben Affleck Batman has been around for a long time. He's kind of he's kind of gone a bit off the rails. It would have been nice to see how he got there. And 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 it, the, the, the conflict could have been teased uh, if that was the third movie. You know, it was the culmination of these. It could have worked really, really well. And I thought it's not just Batman v Superman. It's like, let's put in Wonder, Wonder Woman. Now let's put in Doomsday. And there's all this stuff. And I'm like, I want to I want to see a Batman movie and learn who these people are. I like the addition of Wonder Woman if it was a third film. And I just thought that that Batman v Superman just was overstuffed. And while the uh, ultimate edition is, I think, worth watching. There's just too much stuff happening. And you're like, wait a minute. I, I want to see more of Superman because he's not in that movie enough. And I want to know more about how Batman got the way he is in this movie. And I thought that was a, a mistake. I just thought it was a mistake. Again, they're trying to go after. They want their cake and eat it, too. All right, let's keep moving on here. Dropkick Aggie writes, just finished my first watch of what will be many of Parks and Rec. One of my favorite shows of all time. I love that show to no end. Uh, speaking of Chris Pratt, the humor and writing is consistently great. Ron Swanson is the greatest sitcom character of all time. Was not expecting to cr uh, cry time at the finale. And the finale was great. It was a, it was very weird and different. And actually, the whole entire final season was a little weird because they time jumped. They went from the end of the second last season and then the first the next season, the final season picks up like three or four or five years later. I, I can't I can't remember exactly how long this so was a little weird, but it still had all that charm and all that character and dropkick. I'm glad you got on that show because I just adore Parks and Rec. All right. Selma McShave writes in these days of gigantic budget movies. I'm amazed at the individual Lord of the Rings movies all were done for less than one hundred million dollars each. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is crazy. But Rob, I think a part of that, you'd have to attribute at least a little bit of that to the fact that they knew, I mean, they went all in, right? Like when they were going to do Lord of the Rings, they just normally what a studio would do is, okay, let's get the first one made and let's make sure it's going to work before we, you know, invest in the second one. They just, New Line just jumped in wholeheartedly, both feet and said, yep, we're green lighting all three. Go shoot all three at the same time because you got to know that helped their budget quite a bit like that, that. How important was that decision on their part to actually just shoot all the movies back to back? 
dude, first of all, it was the biggest risk, I think, in Hollywood history. And, you know, it, it, they were only going to ever make two movies at first. When Peter Jackson made his presentation to Bob Shea, it was two movies. When they were they first were going to do it with Miramax, Miramax gave up the rights and Peter Jackson had to shop him around. And he was actually in a room with Bob Shea doing this presentation. All the other studios turned him down. And when the lights came up after the presentation, Bob Shea said, wait a minute, aren't there three Lord of the Rings books? And for whatever reason, he made this decision to go all in. I think it was one of the ballsiest. He, he, he bet his whole studio. You know, he bet New Line on this. And the fact that they went all in. And, and remember, Fellowship turned out well. But when they're in the late stages of production of Two Towers, it was a mess. The movie didn't work. Like when they were when they were filmed, when they were um, in London scoring Two Towers, uh, the end, Peter Jackson decided to show the Battle of Isengard when the Ents attacked and they intercut that battle with what was going on at the end of Two Towers. And it was, I mean, they made decisions up until the 11th hour to make those movies as good as they could be. And it was a risk that paid off. But man, I don't understand, John, why that model hasn't been followed for other trilogies, like especially the, the new Star Wars trilogy that Disney did. Why wouldn't you plan all three movies and just I'll shoot all three of them. And, and I don't get it. Well, see, look, that, that's two different things, right? I mean, because I think those are two important things like plan all because if you were stars, you could have planned all three and then yeah. shot them one at a time if you wanted to. But I mean, that was the biggest criticism that that a lot of people, including myself. And, and I like almost all almost almost all the films in, in the Disney Star Wars catalog. But they had no plan. Fine, don't shoot them all at once. Fine, you want to do the first one, make sure there's still a love for Star Wars. Make sure people are still going to come out. Okay, fine. But man, no plan. That's that's the thing. But they had the plan and they pulled the trigger all at the same time. What was the last one? What's the last set of films that shot them back to back? I know Matrix 2 and 3 did. I'm trying to remember. Uh, I think a couple of Pirates films did. I think. Yeah. I could be wrong yeah, about two, that. I think 2 and 3 were made concurrently. Two right, and three, so, and then the, I, I think like the final Hunger Games movie, maybe. Maybe the last, you know, two, I Mock cannot remember part one and part two. Yeah, they might have. I can't remember. Oh, but it, it is a big, ballsy, and expensive wager. Like when you're trying, when you green light and, and shoot all three, it's a big, big risk. So I get it, but man, what a there's there's gonna be stories to tell about that Lord of the Rings situation for a long time. All right, Augie Boyes writes, rent one. Uh, buy one, rent one, lose one. Uh, Avengers, Infinity War, and Endgame. Uh, to me, that's pretty easy. Buy Avengers, rent Infinity War, lose Endgame. Don't get me wrong. I hate losing Endgame. I do. But if I have to pick one, it's that. Uh, Infinity War was just too great of a true, self-contained, complete movie. Beginning, middle, and end with the ballsy ending of the bad guy winning. Uh, I would really love to keep, keep Endgame. But if I have to lose one, that's when I lose. Rob, buy one, rent one, lose one. Where do you put it? Oh, my God. I don't know. Um, <laughs> buy one, rent one, lose one. Do I have to lose one? Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> of course, I wouldn't have picked to lose any. But yes, you have to pick one to lose. Now, what are my choices here, John? Let's see. Avengers, Infinity War, no, no, and Endgame. I, 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 I've got to keep Infinity War. I, I mean, I buy Infinity War. And uh, uh, God, Infinity what are my choices? Infinity War. The first uh, Avengers, Infinity War, and Endgame. I, 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 you know what, dude? I'm going to, this is tough. I'm going to sell the first Avengers. 
Really? I, I, yeah. You know why? I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. I'm, 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 I'm you know, these choices, I'm like, wh- why is Age of Ultron not in this? <laughs> but um, I'm going to buy, I'm, because I think Avengers, in, Infinity War, when I saw Infinity War for the first time, I, I, it is it, it, the fact that it works, the fact that it has so many characters and they're from so many different tonalities. And like when I saw Tony Stark talk to Doctor Strange at the beginning of that movie, you know, I, I'm like, I can't believe I'm seeing this. Now, I felt that way for the for, with the first Avengers, but Infinity War was a level that was so much higher. And I think in, 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 that Infinity War and Endgame work as so as well as they do. I find those movies to be infinitely enjoyable. So my choices, I can't. So I have to sell. I'm gonna, I'm going to keep Infinity War. Do I have to rent Endgame? Is that yes. what it is? Buy one, rent one, sell sell one. Okay, uh, okay. Then I I got to get rid of the first Avengers because to me, uh, Infinity War and Endgame just blow the doors off. They're, 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 to me, I, I, it's, they're so huge and big and delightful and gooey and delicious. I got to get them. I still think the first Avengers is the best one, but, but more importantly, in this case, I just, there is no infinity war end game without the first Avengers. So that's why I go with that, but, but there's no right answer here. There's no right answer. What are my choices again? (laughs) All right. We got to keep moving here. We got to keep moving. All right. uh, Kristen Bell writes, I'm a huge Kristen Bell fan. No kidding. Uh, What is your favorite Kristen Bell movie project? And what is your favorite series she has been in? That's actually easy for me on both fronts. Uh, uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall is a, a top 10 favorite comedy for me ever. That movie and that movie gets better every time you see it. Um, I love that movie. And my favorite Kristen Bell, well, she was a recurring character on Parks and Rec. So that makes it really easy for me, Parks and Rec. Rob, favorite Kristen Bell movie, favorite Kristen Bell series? Forgetting Sarah Marshall for sure, but my favorite Kristen Bell series is absolutely Veronica Mars. All right. And my my wife would probably go, would probably say, well, no, I know my wife would say The Good Place. So the three of us would have three different uh, TV answers. Can I change, um, okay. my, can I change my other question? Sure. I, I think you're right. I, I'm going to have to make Avengers. I, that's got to be the first one. I got to. Oh, we're going back to that question. I thought you were changing your answer about Kristen no, Bell. No, no, I've, yeah. <laughs> I'm stuck. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, no, there's no wrong answer in that one. All right. Uh, next one. There's also no right answer for that one. Doctor Manhattan's brother writes: Who would win between Taki Tina and Twilight Zone and Zuni fetish doll of Trilogy of Terror? <laughs> I, I, I'm always a Taki. T- t- nothing else scared me. Taki Tina scares me. Dude, Talkie the Tina Zuni fetish me. doll from Trilogy of Terror is the scariest doll ever. <laughs> Zuni would kick Chucky's ass. There's something about the subtlety of Taki Tina, though. I'm Taki Tina, and I'm going to kill you. I'm like, nope, nope. Just a whole truckload of nope. Dude, Trilogy of Terror, when I was a little kid, man, I was terrified of the Zuni fetish doll. It was so scary. <laughs> All right, let's see here. WWDITS writes, uh, leave me to my dark bidding on the internet. What are you bidding on? I'm bidding on a table. What we do in the shadows, lead me to my dark bidding. What are you bidding on? And that's the movie. That's the uh, what we do in the shadows movie, if I'm not mistaken. Um, By the way, uh, if you have not seen, I know I say this all the time. Dear heavens, guys, if you have not watched what we do in the shadows. The only reason you know Taika Waititi's name, because that movie is what got Taika Waititi all the other gigs that came out. Oh, so good. watch what we and then then go and watch the TV show. 
Uh, then watch it. Oh, that, I get it. Now that's what WWDITS stands for, what we do in the shadows. Yeah. Oh, my God. So good. Both so good. All right. Murray Reich writes, do you think theaters are on track to playing movies uh, come end of June? Because every state is going through different phases of reopening and hardest hit states like New York are most probably going to to be the last to fully reopen. Are movies like Tenet taking a big risk? Absolutely. They're taking a risk. They're absolutely taking a risk. Um, what they are banking on right now is the fact that whether it's smart or not smart, the states are starting to reopen in phases and whatever. And the likelihood is by July, again, smart or stupid, by July, they will probably all be at the phases where they're they're allowing the theaters to reopen under restrictions for sure. Um, So you listen, if I had to put $5 and not 50, if I had to put five dollars in it, I, I'm 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 wagering they'd be open by July. Yeah, I'm wagering they'd be open by July. I wouldn't bet fifty bucks on it, but I, I'd wager they'd be open by July. But you're absolutely right, Murray. This it, it, listen, when you're in unprecedented times like this, everything you do is a risk, and this is certainly a risk on their part. Make no mistake about it. All right, Isaac Beebe writes: the official Disney Plus Twitter page can be followed by anyone in the world. Yet they are advertising the Disney Plus, Hulu and ESPN Plus bundle on it, even though many countries like Australia, where I'm from, don't have those services. Is this false advertising? No. Listen, just because. Look, are you (laughs) Isaac? All due respect, brother. Come on. It's like, oh, no, everybody in the world can see this. Oh, well, I better not talk about something that somebody somewhere in the world can't see it. No. Disney Plus is primarily an American-based thing. For them to not use the biggest social media tool they have to advertise their wares to, you know, their audience that is in North America is is ridiculous. It's, it's like this. It's, it would be say like saying this, Isaac. If I'm doing a meet and greet at Comic-Con, which this has happened, should I put on my Twitter that I'm doing a meet and greet at Comic-Con? I mean, there, there are people in Poland who cannot come to San Diego to the meet and greet. Is that false advertising? No, no, no. It's it's I, I don't see any. I, I don't know. I, I, Rob, do you see any problem with Disney uh, utilizing their Twitter, their Twitter account to to market their stuff, even though not everybody in the world can get it? No, because it's marketing. And the fact that we have a letter from Australia from somebody who's saying, is this false advertising? It means that what they're doing is working. (laughs) It means that their marketing of something, even though you can't get the product, is working. You know, and and that's what it is. And and I think that eventually people will be able to get all of these things. And uh, I mean, uh, it's not false advertising at all. It's just it's marketing. Period. And I would think of this, too. YouTube, you can get it anywhere in the world. Is it false advertising for a studio to then put up a trailer on YouTube? It says coming March 5th, but it's not coming March 5th in Ireland. Is that right. false advertising? No, right. it's, it's 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 not false advertising. Just so no, I, I don't agree. I don't agree with you on that. brother Isaac, I agree with you on a lot of stuff often, but I don't agree with you on that one, brother. All right. Isaac also writes, since Disney decided to add Splash to Disney Plus with CGI to make it f- more family friendly for their service, do you think they could do the same for Titanic by using clever editing to hide Kate Winslet's exposed breasts in the drawing scene? They could. They could. And if they did. 
But why I would, would you want to, John? Yeah, why would yeah. you want to? Oh, oh, I wouldn't. But uh, if they did, it would probably I would also have no problem with it because I can watch Titanic elsewhere and not have that. But again, if it was on if CBS was going to air Titanic, which networks have aired Titanic, guess what? They cut the scene out. So if Disney will leave the scene in, but just do some CG, some something creative CGI wise to cover the the material that keeps it family friendly, then I got no problem with that because if I want to see her boobs, I can go watch it on Google Play or Amazon, or it doesn't matter. I can watch it anywhere else that I want. It, it, Disney Plus is just another network in that case. So I don't know, Rob. What do you what are you thinking on that? Well, I just think that I don't want to live in a world where we're so infantilized that we can't like we're still going to what giggle over boobies. I mean, that's a lovely scene. And I understand why in our puritanical America, there's some people that just can't handle it, John. What's oh, my gosh. I mean, what's going to happen if the youth of America is exposed to the naked bosom of somebody? I mean, it's you know, it's a real lovely scene. And I think let's just all grow up. Okay, time out though. Time out. You and I cannot cannot take the position that we say what other parents should and should not do with their kids. I mean, we can't put ourselves in that position. You you're doing that with your kid. You shouldn't be like that. I don't Uh, agree uh, with that. We listen. We do with the the whole thing about Disney Plus is Aaron put it best, and Aaron loves everything filthy. But Aaron put it best. She was one of the key marketing things about this product about Disney Plus is. If you're a parent, you don't have to worry about anything. You can leave the room and you know if you've got Disney Plus on, you're you're fine. You don't have to worry about anything about what your kid's seeing. They won't understand everything, but it's not everything. And Rob, again, this is something that's been going on for 40 years when they put anything on TV that the entire family might be watching. They edit and beep and do whatever. This is no different. This isn't like some brand new thing where Disney came out of the woodwork and saying, we're going to start this trend where we're editing movies and all offensive content. No, this is something all television broadcasting has been doing all the time. Disney is a particularly family friendly brand and they're not changing it anywhere else. You can watch Titanic. You can still watch it like that anywhere you want. The only place that's going to have that edit is on Disney Plus because they want to make sure their families know they can leave their kids on with Disney Plus and there's no worries about it. I I just don't see the issue here. I do not know what anybody is crying. Now, listen, I would agree with more people if it was Disney saying, oh, we own Titanic now. You know what we're going to do? We're making this edit for everywhere you could see this movie. No longer can you see anywhere the scenes where the boobs come out. I still have the freedom to watch it just as it is in this original cut. But if I want to watch it on Disney Plus, it's going to have a CGI box. <laughs> I don't know, like a, a CGI hot toys box sitting in front of her boobs. Um, I just don't, I just don't see the problem. What's the problem? I don't get it. Rob, help me understand this mindset because I just well, no, don't I, understand look, where we're coming from. I, I agree with you. I, I, I agree with you. But look, when I was nine years old, my mom took me to see Logan's run in the theater. There were boobs in that movie, John. And I, as a nine-year-old, I appreciated those boobs. And it didn't, you know, make me crazy. If anything, it made me curious about the adult world I was going to jump into at some point in my life. But no, look, from that perspective, I understand. And I don't disagree with what you or what what Aaron had said. As long as you can see the film uh, other places, I guess the the fact is it's sad to me that Disney Plus would air something at all that they have to be 
that they feel they need to censor in any way, shape, or form. I think, in a way, covering Daryl Hannah's bare buttocks, you know, with, with uh, we have to cover buttocks because, it, it, in a way, it says something in the long run that I think is is more damaging than seeing a butt or a bare breast. I mean, it's 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 part of life. It's it's part of being a human being, and and I don't think that those. Those I think those scenes left in the film do more. They're 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 more beneficial than detrimental. I think. Again, I, I just think that's that's making parental decisions for other people and their kids. I, I just listen. Here's how I would feel different if because, again, I, I go this back to the television thing. How is this any different? Are we saying that no television network should have ever aired any movie on television airways that weren't just rated G? Of course not. And they've been doing it for decades and decades and decades. And we no one's ever had a problem with. We all understand. Oh, this is being on the public airways. A lot of families won't want their kids to see something. Oh, we all understand. And we have all always understood that we've never had a problem with it. All of a sudden, we have a problem with it. And again, I think if what a what a parent wants their kid to see or not see, if that interfered with my right to see that stuff. Well, then I'm sorry, parents, you're just gonna have to keep a closer eye on your kids. Right, 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 right. But if it's not taking away my ability to see that content in in its original form on a dozen other platforms. Again, somebody has yet to give to me a distinction between movies like when Snakes on a Plane was aired on network TV, mother flipping, mother, you know, fencing, mother, whatever, everything. No one is yet to give to me a true legitimate distinction between why that's not a problem. But Disney keeping the scene in, they didn't listen. Disney could have edited the scene out of the movie, but instead of doing that, they left the scene in the movie. They added some CGI hair just to cover the one thing that might offend some parents with their kids. But I can still watch. Ann and I did go back and watch Splash in its original form. I mean, it's still there. So nobody has yet given me a true reason why we should have no problem with television airing it one way. But we should get our pitchforks and torches and storm the castle, figuratively speaking, storm the castle. Because in one scene that they didn't cut out, they added some CGI hair to cover a butt. This was perfectly fine. This is something for us to get angry about. I just... I, I, it's still an issue that I still don't understand why people get react the way they do about it. I, I just don't know. I just don't get it. Now that there is the argument that some people are saying, well, then if there's a movie with anything offensive, put it on Hulu. That is certainly one approach to it. But I, again, if all they had to do to keep Splash on Disney Plus, if the only thing they had to do to keep it on Disney Plus was add some CGI hair. You know, I, I don't know. I, I guess, though, I guess my objection to all of that is what kind of a uh, uh, to me that the I would rather have movies. Um, look, I understand it, it's a it's a family. It is a family uh, channel and they have they, they don't want to offend anyone. But I would also say what what is offensive about these things? Why is it that we feel the need that children have to be protected from these things? in the first place. That's what I find bizarre. And I, I, I don't necessarily think that we're doing anyone any favors by, by you know, a, a, a mermaid. The idea of what a mermaid is in the first place, you know, what is a mermaid? And if a mermaid comes to the shore 
are are you you saying then that that we know that Daryl Hannah grew legs and she no longer has a a, a tail? I mean, the, the the whole idea, the questions that are conjured up by that kind of thing. You're you're at, on one particular moment. Now is the time, just because you see her bare ass, that we're not gonna we're, we're not gonna deal with what a kid's not gonna be like. If I was a kid watching a movie about mermaids, and I'm like. How are they going to go pee pee if they have a tail? I, I I would have thought that in my own mind anyway, you know. Sure, and it's not but like, again, we're in danger of putting ourselves in the position where we are the ones telling other parents how you should parent your kids, and I think that's always dangerous territory to get in. They, we're saying what other parents should and should not do with their children because at the end of the day, Disney is a product, and they're selling their product right. to parents, and they and they're telling parents. You're safe with this. Wherever you are on the scale, you are safe with your kids with this. And again, though, I got to ask, Rob, why is this an issue now? And no one's ever made an issue out of it for the 5,000 movies that have come out over five major networks over 40 years on television. Why is everybody making an issue out of this now when it's never been an issue before? Well, I think because... Well, because network television, first of all, was free to everybody. Now we have streaming services that we're paying for. And I think that there's been an expectation from cable companies and things like that, that you're getting a unaltered version of the film. And and when you're paying for something, you want to see the film that is intact. And, you know, my expectation would be that if you don't want your child to watch Titanic, then you tell them not to watch Titanic. Why should then the film and everyone be penalized as a parent? I'm not a parent, but if I was, I would want my kids to to see movies that were not cut. You know, simply then you because still can. There's other there's uh, I know, other I know, platforms I where you can. See, I would agree with you completely. What I think you and I would 100% be on the same page on this. If this was an issue of this is how it is everywhere now. You cannot watch this movie no, without. You're right. I, I, it's just on this channel that uh, as a product that they advertise for families so families can watch it a certain way. And it's still available everywhere else for us to watch. I just don't understand the problem. I just don't get the problem. Well, you know, but they did other things like they released Dumbo and they were going to cut out the, the the Black Crows scene, but they didn't. And they put a disclaimer on the front of the movie saying that there's certain what, however they worded attitudes it about, from a, from an era and stuff like that. I, I get that. But now we're, we're starting to nitpick. It's like, well, how come they said damn in this one movie? I, I had somebody literally tweet that for me before. Listen, we can get into the nitty gritty of like, OK, then what where do they draw the line? You know, what yeah, is know. It, it? It's in there. But. The line has got to be drawn somewhere regardless, because I don't think anybody's going to think, you know what? Yeah, put uh, put uh, eyes wide shut on Disney Plus. I, you know, it's OK. So if we all agree, yeah, that's well, probably if I not. was a nine year old and I stumbled across <laughs> that. I'd be like, oh, I'd right. be all over it. But I mean, seriously, I think most rational people go, well, yeah, you don't put eyes wide shut on it. It's like, OK, so we're agreeing there's a line. So now we're just getting into the nitpicking of where do you put that line? And but I I think we all agree that there should be. Anyway, we've gone on. I've gone on in this uh, far, far too long. We got (laughs) to get back into the live questions here because we spent way too long on this. Um, Kyle Cannon writes, "Um, hey, guys, been a fan of yours for years. So I have a question. Does Toby Kebbell have the worst agent ever? I like him heaps. Love a monster calls. But to list a few of his stinkers, Ben-Hur, Fantastic Four, Warcraft, uh, Bloodshot, The Counselor and more. Thanks. I I don't know that he has the worst agent ever, because on one hand, Kyle, you just acknowledge his agent keeps getting him into high profile movies. How you dare. How dare you malign the counselor? 
The counselor's <laughs> genius. Yeah, uh, that's that's one we still disagree on. But <laughs> but the fact of the matter is there are a lot of hardworking, dedicated, dream obsessed actors who would kill to be in the movies that Toby Kebbell has been in. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I don't know. Look, the fact of the matter is Toby Kebbell is not a major A-list star. I think we all agree that we can we can agree how good he is. That that's a separate issue, though. The fact that a guy who is not a major star um, and maybe deserves to be, but has consistently gets work in consistently fairly high profile projects. Uh, and, and by the way, listen, we talk about this a lot, too, Rob, is that, you know, when oftentimes I have read Robin, I know this is true of you, too. I have read scripts. The, the remake of Clash of the Titans, for example, I read the script of that before it came out and I thought, holy hell, this movie's going to be awesome on script on paper. It really looked like it was going to be awesome. Of course, it wasn't. Some of you may like it, and that's great if you do. But a lot of times, like when you're all you've got as an agent, is you look at the script. Listen, Warcraft is coming out. Warcraft, super popular IP. Yeah. You've got the director of Moon who is going to be directing this film. You've got a solid commitment from the studio to be big on it. Super major popular IP, world-class director, at least one of the hot names of directing at the time uh, is going to be directing it. Big support on a big studio. Of course you sign your client up for that movie if they'll take him. Of course you sign them up for that. So you got to keep that in mind, too. Rob, can you think of any examples as somebody who's read probably thousands of scripts? Can you think of any examples where you like read a script and thought, oh, this is going to be great and it doesn't turn out to be so great? You know, not really, but scripts have well, I'll give you an example, a different example. So seven, seven was the best script I ever read when I was when I was reading scripts, the David, it became the David Fincher movie, but even seven, the movie, as much as I love it, it wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be when I read the script. And seven is an amazing movie. Um, there were other scripts I read like copycat. You ever see copycat with Sigourney yeah. Weaver and now yep. and uh, copycat while it got made, I was like, eh, this movie's okay, but when I saw it, because um, what's his face, you know, the singer Harry Connick Jr., I was like Harry Connick Jr.'s performance in Copycat made the movie much better than it read on the page. So you you have it both ways. I mean, I think that that it, it's 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 different, but I think for the most part, there's so few scripts that are actually good. That I I never read a script that I thought was really good on the page that didn't turn out to at least be okay. Oh, that's not true. There is one. T hmm. T Rex Theodore Rex, <laughs> the dinosaur movie. Was that with Whoopi Goldberg? Yes, dude. I kid you not. That script was like Blade Runner meets Jurassic Park. Jonathan Batool wrote that script, who wrote The Last Starfighter. And I thought that script was so kick-ass. And the movie was was so I, – I, I, and it, he, he directed that movie too. That film was so god-awful compared to what was on the page. I couldn't believe it. That's That was it. That's the one script that I read that I'm like, this could be great. And it turned – it was just – 
horrifically bad. That's the movie. That's the one. All right, let's keep moving here. Luis Martinez writes, one of two. Hey, John, how is it possible that John Krasinski is getting so many Hollywood and even political slash religious figures on his Some Good News channel as guests? It's effing amazing. The whole of the office cast, Spielberg, Oprah, uh, Malala, even astronauts in space. I thought of him as just a great actor slash director, relatively new to Hollywood. But by doing something like this, he's showing that maybe he's something different. By the way, love the show. Uh, hope you have an excellent day. Go Seahawks. Well, I think there's there's a couple things to keep in mind number one um he is a legitimate name in the business i mean he was on one of the most popular television series he was the star of one of the most popular television series of all time in the office uh, he's been on a number of big things and then he came out of the woodwork and everybody's acknowledging him as one of the hot directors and in the business right now and all this kind of stuff and just a wonderful dude and he's probably part one half of the biggest power couple in hollywood right now with, with him and emily blunt now you compound that with the fact that he comes out of nowhere, does this some good news YouTube thing that's done so charmingly and gets tens of millions of people watching it. So it's super popular. But here's the main thing. Here's the main thing. What did Steven Spielberg have to do or what did the office cast have to do, which are all his friends, obviously. But what do any of these people have to do to get on a show? Do they have to fly to L.A., get a stylist, all this kind of stuff, book a time, fit into the schedule? No, it's like. Okay, yeah, I can do that interview with you at 2 a.m. in the morning over Skype. I mean, it's it, it, seriously, it's not that hard. It's the whole reason why like people like all these late night talk shows, they're still able to get all these people because it's even easier now. They didn't have to bring somebody into, into town. They don't have to work around their schedules. They, no, it's just, oh, when are you available to hop on a Skype call for a few minutes? Oh, yeah, I can do that, Mr. Krasinski. Boom, and do it. So it's, it's a conglomeration of all those things. And by the way, he's doing such a... Uh, Here's some good news show on YouTube. It's, it's, it's so good. It's unfortunate it's going to be so short lived because, you know, once he actually has to get back to work, it's it's going to be different. But the fact that he's just doing it is so charming and delightful. And but yeah, the the big, big factor is that all he's got to do is get them to jump on Skype and he's good to go. And people are adoring this show and seeing and seeing his show as important right now, like some good news right now is kind of an important show. And uh, it's great what he's doing. It's absolutely great. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, James L.H. writes, John, one of four. Oh, boy. Here we go. Buckle up. I really enjoyed your walkthrough of your studio. And whenever you explain what goes on behind the curtain, I'm always fascinated when Rob talks about behind the scenes features he's produced. One of the reasons I love discs is features. Star Wars Episode One, which is one of the best special features DVDs of all time, uh, is one of the best. And Lord of the Rings Extended for me took it to a new level. The recent Knives Out doc is one of the best for a while. A friend of mine or mine and Rob's produced that, as a matter of fact. Uh, I mentioned this because of Mandalorian behind the scenes. I've been disappointed so far. Roundtable talks like MCU directors or the Hollywood Reporter ones are good, but for me, this shouldn't be the main focus on The Mandalorian. When Filoni was talking to, was talking, to me, it was wasted seven minutes that had nothing to do with the production of the series. When he talked, I kept checking out how long was left. Yeah, me too. How long was left. I think the Roundtable parts could have been served better as separate feature on Disney Plus released each week alongside uh, behind the scenes documentary. So far, Far, I haven't learned much about the series itself, and my concern is that uh, is this is the format going forward. And yeah, it's my concern as well. Now, listen, I love the first episode because it was just introducing us to the players involved, the directors, right? And so I really appreciate. And I thought, but I also thought for sure next week they're going to get into the whole thing, Rob, that you were looking for. I thought for sure next week they'll talk about you know John Favreau's first phone call 
trying to set up a meeting with Kathleen Kennedy and then their first conversations and then about how Kennedy said, I want you to work with Dave Filoni on this. And then, you know, how they evolved the story. How did they come to the conclusion of getting, uh, you know, Pascal in to, to be Mandalorian, even though he's probably actually in the suit less than half the time. But how did they like all the actual behind the scenes nitty gritty and all the last episode was. Isn't Star Wars great? Yeah, we we fucking know that already. We know Star Wars is great. Talk talk to us about Mandalorian. Talk to us about the behind the scenes of Mandalorian. Talked about talk to us about the philosophy of what what why this episode followed this episode of Mandalorian. Talk to us about the damn Mandalorian. It's like turning in tuning in to watch an episode of the ESPN documentary series The Last Dance with uh, with Michael Jordan and having an entire episode talked about isn't basketball great? And just a bunch of people. Then I just have a bunch of people sitting around the table going, you know what I love about basketball? It's fast. Oh, yeah. Basketball's fast. And and wasn't Wilt Chamberlain great? Oh, my gosh. Wilt Chamberlain. This is supposed to be a documentary about the Michael Jordan Bulls going into their final season before it all got shut down. That's what this is supposed to be about. Focus on that. And that was the big frustration to me. Listen, I'm not saying there weren't interesting things in that episode. You know, the Dave Filoni story was interesting. The... Um, uh, the, uh, Kathleen Kennedy telling the story about how George, the, the evolution of George deciding, you know, being on the set of Indiana Jones, kind of helping him evolve his decision to make more. I mean, that's all interesting stuff, but it is completely irrelevant. It has nothing to do with what is supposed to be a behind the scenes of Mandalorian. That's what this is about. You know what else I love? I love blowjobs, but guess what? If I'm sitting down and watching an episode of Star Wars, I don't want you to cut away for a five-minute interlude of some blowjob on screen. I'm watching Star Wars to watch Star Wars. You know, I'm watching a behind-the-scenes documentary of Mandalorian to see behind-the-scenes stuff of Mandalorian. I don't know. Maybe that was a bad example. I don't know. But I don't know. But I, I don't know. I, Rob, what, Rob, what do you think? What do you think? What's your take on this? Um, um, I'm a big fan. Uh, no, I look as someone who's actually made documentaries for Disney, not to toot my own horn, but I did. I've worked on Fantasia, Snow White, The Emperor's New Groove. And of course, I made a feature uh, and uh, Chronicles of Narnia, but I made a feature length documentary in the making of Tron. And while we did talk about how earlier things led up to Tron, it was always in, in terms of the making of Tron. And I'm like, I want to know how the Mandalorian series came about. How did it start? Whose idea was it? How did they decide? Was it based off the Bobus Fett script that they didn't make? Like they've, they've told us nothing. They've told us nothing about where the series came from, early development, who was hired, did they? Wh where did the effects come from, how did they decide to use, use stagecraft, all of those things. What was Dave Filoni's first meeting with Jon Favreau like? What did they discuss? You know, I, I mean, did they watch Clone Wars together? They just announced today that Katie Sackhoff is playing one of the characters from Clone Wars in The Mandalorian for the second season. And it's like, well, how did all of these things come about? And, and is this something that they talked about from the very beginning? We don't know anything about The Mandalorian show, really. We haven't learned anything about the production of that show yet. And I'm like, what a wasted opportunity. We've now watched an hour of this documentary series, and we've learned nothing about the actual production of The Mandalorian. And it's weird. 
And you know, and some people will say, rightfully so, because it's what I said to you after episode one. It's like, well, John, I'm sure they'll get to it. Okay. But again, I go back to this incredible docuseries, this other, this is how you do a docuseries, the ESPN docuseries on The Last Dance right now, right? They didn't make you wait for three episodes to actually start talking about the final season of Michael Jordan and the Bulls. The first episode, the first minute was, this is what this docuseries is. And they dive right into it right away. Not making you, like the the person who just, James LH who wrote in is like, okay, they're hearing some guy tell a story that has nothing to do with Mandalorian or the production of Mandalorian or anything. And you find yourself looking at your watch. It's like, damn it, how much time is left in this episode? Are they, like the fact that you have to just sit around on your ass for like two episodes before you start talking about the behind the scenes of Mandalorian. Again, I like the first episode. Introducing the players I thought was a nice start. But I, I really hope they turn it around, dude. I really, yeah. really hope they turn it around. All right, we just got time for a couple more with Rob here. So let's dive into it. Fifty Shades of Geek writes, can I please get a T-shirt that has Mufasa's Force Ghost on it? <laughs> We're talking about Force Ghost, the Mufasa Force Ghost. I'd be that. I'd be down to see a Mufasa in Jedi robes doing it as a Force Ghost. Russell Amador writes, hey, John, I saw the topic for today and thought... Um, and thought we were all set for July, but I haven't stumbled across a statement from Warners that they were keeping the July release date for Tenant. Do you know something that we don't know? Well, we talked this. That's because it's something that came up a few weeks ago, right? We got into the stories from Forbes and uh, IndieWire that were Warner Brothers is backing up Christopher Nolan on this. But again, it ain't official, 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 official. I mean, because Warner Brothers stance right now is we are holding that July 17th release date that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. But until they pull the trigger and actually start spending the big marketing money, it's something they could reverse course on. But as of right now, we now with Bob Chapek's new comments, we now have officially, at least for the moment, Wonder Woman, Tenant and um, and now uh, Mulan are there. Their studios are saying for now we are holding we're holding course. We're holding course for these dates. Now, that can change. But as of right now, that's uh, that's where they're all at. All right. Uh, Box of Chocolates writes, this is my first tip to your show. Oh, thank you so much, Box of Chocolates. A little bit of a um, Forrest Gump reference there. I uh, just wanted to say that I love the way you do things on here and have a lot of respect for the way you carry yourself uh, as both a content creator and man. Wishing nothing but the best for you and everyone on the show. Oh, thank you so much for that, Box It's always kind of really nice when somebody just wants to send in something to, to say something nice. And I appreciate it. You have no idea that, like, really, it's not just lip service me saying I really appreciate that. Dude, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much, man. That's really kind of you. All right. Uh, Box of Chocolates also writes, uh, as a guy from Cleveland, LeBron Town, I really enjoyed The Last Dance. Speaking of that docuseries, even though I was born in 93, I've always been a Jordan fan due to stories and clips about the, uh, uh, but the doc makes me appreciate his accomplishments even more. How do you feel about the doc so far? I'm behind. I only started watching it recently. I'm four episodes in and I am engrossed. Yeah, me too. It's oh, dude, man, as a documentarian yourself, dude, I mean, like what is making this this show work? So like you don't even have to be a basketball fan to be intrigued by this. What's making it work? I, I think, you know, I think you're absolutely right. What you just said, I think a great documentary should make anybody no matter what. If you're if you just are an inquisitive person, you should be able to watch a documentary about any subject because a story, a good story is a good story. It doesn't necessarily have to be like, I'm not the biggest sports fan in the world, but this documentary is so engrossing from the get go because of the way it conveys information. 
you know, if you're if you're just a person interested in the world around you, you sit down and you're like, wow. And you're completely captivated by it because because it's the story of a man who if you were he could have been he's a hero. You know, he's he's a, he's going there's the hero's journey. There's the whole there's the whole milieu. It's 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 like gladiator or it's like it's like any kind of a great story. You could transpose the structure of what they're doing into any kind of a narrative and it would be compelling. And and it's just it's beautifully done. You can't not watch it and be like transfixed. By the way, I don't know if they've covered this in the documentary or not, but one of my favorite Jordan stories, you can go and find this on YouTube. This to me, out of all the championships and MVPs, this is my favorite Michael Jordan story. It was after he retired, retired, like really retired. It was like a year after he retired. And Michael Jordan is talking to a a, a former teammate of his, like a, a buddy of his on the Bulls. And his buddy goes, um, hey, there's this uh, this rookie that they had just drafted, like drafted top five or something. This rookie we just drafted, he's he's going around practicing. He could beat you in a one-on-one game. He could beat Jordan in a one-on-one game. Apparently, that pissed Jordan off. <laughs> so apparently, near the end of one practice, Michael Jordan shows up at the Bulls practice. You can find this on YouTube. He shows up at the Bulls practice facility, grabs a ball, points at the kid, and just goes, let's go. And then he just schooled him, just schooled him. And it's like, thank you before you talk next time. And then like, you got to go see the YouTube video. It's absolutely amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Okay. um, Next up here, Simon writes, John, I know that you are not a fan of DC animated movies or Marvel animated movies, but there are some exceptions. There are some exceptions, actually. Uh, But you have got to see Justice League Dark Apocalypse War. Man, that movie rivals Flashpoint, dude. That's not saying much. That's that's not saying a lot. I don't know. I dude, I've seen so many so many times there's been like a DC or a Marvel animated thing that's a straight to video th- crap and people say, "Oh, you got to watch this." And then I watch it's like that was shit. Uh I mean, the last thing DC put out that I really really liked in in their straight to home video stuff was their Dark Knight Returns adaptation. That was pretty damn special um did you ever see the one they did on um oh the one where the joker shoots barbara gordon uh uh killing joke oh the killing joke uh, killing joke did you see uh, killing joke yeah oh my god that was so bad it wasn't good and, and you was, know they changed things but i'd say there have they been did like change, i yeah. really liked flashpoint the movie i really liked it a lot and i like the wonder woman the early wonder woman one they did there's been some that i've quite enjoyed and there, there are a couple i, re- I really enjoyed too yeah, I want to see this this new one because I like the comic series. So you, okay, I was going to ask you that. You hadn't seen it yet? No, I haven't. Seen, it just came out. And right. uh, I do want to see it. All right. I, I, I don't know that I, I just don't want to watch it. I just don't want to watch it. Uh, again, I'm not talking crap on it because I haven't seen it. I, I'm not saying right. it's bad. I haven't seen it. I just I just don't really want to watch it. All right. Uh, ben Rayner writes. Hey, John and Rob, one th- uh, one of the things that bothers me now that we know Ray's past uh, is that lightsaber. If she was a, a Palpatine the whole time, uh, does it make sense that she heard Jedi uh, Obi-Wan's voice call to her in The Force Awakens? Also, uh, great moves yesterday, Rob. Uh, I don't know what that what the great moves yesterday means. Oh, wait, I, uh, now I know the, the, the physical moves. Um, I Scott Mance. The. You- yeah, there's trades, right? Yeah. Um, I just don't 
first of all, just because her dad was Palpatine, that doesn't mean that she's still not her own individual. Like, you know, Force Ghost, Obi-Wan and everything, they may sense in her that she's truly that. But again, don't, I'm the wrong guy to ask to try to justify the logic of the Rise of Skywalker. Um, I I just, you know what? I I decided, I've been thinking about it for a couple of months, Rob. And while a hundred other channels have done it, I think just for myself, I think I'm going to do a video, uh, a pre-recorded edited video. I'm going to do a video on, yeah, what are we now in like a, the six month postmortem of Rise of Skywalker where I'm, I'm and while other people have made there's lots of videos. Believe me, there's lots of videos online about, you know, why the Rise of Skywalker sucks. I, I, I really feel for myself. I feel like I need to do a video on. Here's the post the postmortem on on Rise of Skywalker and really why it failed, even for somebody like me who has enjoyed at least enjoyed some I love some I enjoyed. But to somebody like me who has enjoyed all the Disney era Star Wars movies, I've enjoyed all of them up to this point. So why did the Rise of Skywalker for somebody like me who's enjoyed all the rest of them see this one as a failure? Um, and, and, and I think I'm going to do that video. I, I, I've been wrestling with it cause I, you know, I don't like getting on a lot of hate stuff, but I think just for my own therapy, <laughs> I think, I think for my own therapy and closure, I think I have to do my own video on that. And, and you Rob, you know, you and I have talked about this a lot. There's, there's a lot to cover, um, on it, but yeah, <laughs> sorry, Ben, I'm the wrong guy to ask to make anything, any sense out of the uh, stuff. Okay. Last two questions here from, uh, the, uh, tip link that you guys have sent in everything. Entertainment rights, quarantine recommendation, thoroughbreds, 2018. Oh, that's the one with Anton Yelchin. One of Yan- Anton Yelchin's final films, as a matter of yeah. fact, um, two teen girls conspired to murder an emotionally abusive stepfather. Dark comedy uh, was the movie that made me look at Anya Taylor-Joy and think she's possibly the next Cate Blanchett or Amy Adams. I don't know if her ceiling is that high, but I really do like her as a matter of fact. But yeah, one of the big things, Rob, of course, for that movie was the, I think the last theatrically released film that Anton Yelch, I think he passed away like a good year and a half before the movie finally came out. Uh, But anyway, your thoughts on Thoroughbreds? I I actually saw it and I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. And like you said, yeah, Anna a nice Taylor, movie. yeah I, I liked it. I mean, you know, and I love her, love her. That's why I can't, I am so sad. We haven't seen new mutants yet. Cause she oh, plays a Yana Rasputin magic. I want to, I want to see uh, it so bad, John soon, soon. All right. And last uh, tip question before we go over to the super chat questions, it comes to us from an anonymous viewer who writes in, could the need for social distancing bring back popular, the popularity for drive-in theaters, dude. I mean, we've talked about this a bunch. I, I have no idea why drive-in theaters had to be closed down. I have no idea why. What is more social distancing than you being in your own car? I, I, I just don't get it. And so I don't know, like when everything opens back up, the first thing people will go to, I think, is the is the drive in theaters. I know I'm itching to go to a drive in right now. Um, And as a matter of fact, somebody one viewer sent me an email saying that the drive in in San Diego is opening back up this week. So Anne and I have talked about maybe even just jumping in the car and driving to San Diego just to go to a drive in. Almost doesn't even matter what movies are going to be playing. Doesn't matter. Just go hang out in the drive in, you know, and and have some fun. So uh, there's that. But. I, I don't know if it's going to add much to the longevity. I don't know if there's going to be a long-term positive effect for drive-in theaters. It'd be great if they did. Rob, what do you think about uh, that whole thing? Well, you know, look, drive-in theaters are fun, but 
the movie going experience to me is never it, going to a drive in the, the experience of going to the drive in. I feel like I, I need to go sing to Sandy on the on the uh, swings like in Greece when I go to a drive in. You know, it's, I never go to a drive in thinking I can't wait to be at this drive in to see this movie. It's almost like I can't wait to be inside this drive in so I can go to the refreshment stand and walk around the drive in. You know, the movie going experience I don't think is enhanced by drive ins. At least for me now, I. I want to go see a theater with laser projection. I want to go to a Dolby cinema and 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 see a movie properly. I, I don't feel that drive-ins ever give you the proper movie-going experience. But that's just me. I, I, I find it a fun experience. I mean, it's a it very fun. different. It's a very different experience. You're right. Like, if, if it's opening night of... Uh, of the Batman, I, I want to see it in the Prime Theater. That that's where yeah. I want to go see it. But yeah, but the the the, the drive-in experience is just it's a different thing, right? It's like a it's a separate thing. It's a different thing, and it's one that's enjoyable. It's like just driving there, being in your own car, bringing a cooler in your back seat. You know, it's I don't know. There's just some kind of fun about it. And and granted, I haven't done it in a while, but I'm looking forward to trying it again. Hey, listen, uh, for now, it's time for us to let Robert Meyer Burnett go and do the things he's got to do today. We will, of course, see you back again tomorrow, Rob. But in the meantime, where can people follow you and your adventures online? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Burnett RM. Find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett or find me on my own on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work and my show Observations. And of course, dude, we will see you again tomorrow. Have a fabulous rest of the day. Oh, and I'll actually call you later tonight because we can talk about that stuff. All right, dude, I will talk to you later. Have a great day, man. All right, man. You too. Bye bye. All right, guys, with that down, let's now move on with the rest of your questions. We're now going to move over to the super chat questions that you guys have been using uh, on YouTube to send in questions. We're going to start things off here with Suthius, who writes, hey, Mr. C, do you also watch one championship fights? I do not watch it on any kind of regular. I will dig up and watch the ones that get posted on YouTube from now and again, but I don't watch it on the regular. And I really would like to. I really wouldn't mind to because I've seen some really great fights. Um, Matthew Melagrana writes, how can Rob say plane, plan, plane nine from outer space? How can he say what about it? I'm not. I'm sorry, Matthew. I'm not really sure what it is you're asking. Uh, Lord Vanderkill writes, uh, Scarlet Witch or Batman? Who has the better you will? Oh, I feel like we answered that one before. Um, um, Scarlet Witch. I mean, Batman's a better character, but like you will. It's one of the most shaking, stunning chills through my body lines I've seen in in a comic book action film in a long, long time. I'll give that one to Scarlet Witch. Uh, Jaron Morris writes, my God, Justin Gaethje dominated. Dude, everybody said I was crazy. When I predicted on this show, I said, Justin Gaethje is going to win this fight, guys. He is a maestro of violence. Tony Ferguson's awesome, and he, he very well could win the fight. But I'm telling you, my pick is Justin Gaethje. He's going to win this fight. And everybody said I was crazy. He destroyed Tony Ferguson. Like, he, I didn't expect him to beat him that badly. But yeah, it was a pretty bad beating. Sam Neeson writes, hey, John and Rob, as a fellow Blu-ray lover, I'm quite upset that there won't be any new ones until the end of the year. Yeah, and listen, it, it is especially important now. With the end of physical media coming, it's especially important now that people who are collectors and love buying Blu-rays, that they be able to do it now because there's not a lot of time left. A couple of years. 
left that you can actually buy that stuff. So it really sucks for people who enjoy collecting that stuff when we get periods of time where there's not a lot of new new uh, property coming out. So that does kind of suck because now is the time. Now is the time to buy this stuff. Now is the time. Iconic reaction rights. Movies that deserve a sequel. Uh, Chronicle. I always did want to see a sequel that. Hancock. I still don't know why they didn't do that one. Big Hero 6. Yeah, they did an animated show instead, but they should have done a sequel. Uh, Rise of the Guardians. I'm not so sure about that one. Unpopular, but Training Day. Oh, I don't think they should have done one for Training Day. Salt. Could have done one for Salt. Wanted. Wanted. Totally should have had a sequel. Uh, Inception. No, Inception shouldn't have done a sequel. And Red Sparrow. Mm, I suppose you get. I was actually, I was very excited about Red Sparrow, uh, the Jennifer Lawrence film, but it just wasn't that good of a movie. I, I was hoping for a lot better, but I, I found it. So maybe there's a story you could do there as a sequel, but just because I didn't like the first one so much, probably not, but a bunch of the ones on your list. Yeah, I don't know why some of those don't have sequels already. Alan Gonzalez writes, news of a live action Dragon Ball Z show or movie have been popping up on my Facebook. I always comment fake thoughts. I, I listen, maybe, but until you see it in a real source, I wouldn't pay any attention to it. Just don't pay any attention to it until you see it in a real source. And by real source, I mean the studio put out a statement or Variety reports something or The Hollywood Reporter or Deadline or, or Entertainment Weekly. Unless one of those outlets write about it, I just don't don't pay much attention to it because 98 times out of 100, it's not true. And for those two times out of the 100, it is true. Well, if it's true, eventually one of the reputable sites will write about it and then you know that it's real. But I mean, listen, uh, Dragon Ball Z is a very popular IP. Dragon Ball Z is a very, very popular IP worldwide. Um, that doesn't mean it's going to be, it would be successful. We already know that, that <laughs> we've seen examples where it's not successful, but uh, I wouldn't doubt for a second that somebody's looking at doing it. So maybe it's true, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't put too much stock into it or really waste too much time thinking about it until one of the real legitimate trades uh, report on it. All right. Uh, Nemanja uh, uh, Yoanovic writes, uh, read my name as Nemanja, Nemanja, there we go. Have you seen any of uh, partisan Yugoslav movies? I have not. I'm assuming those are Yugoslavian movies. I have not seen any of those. I'm actually not familiar with the terminology, but now you've put it on my radar. So if somebody brings it up again, I will go, you know what? I've heard about this. Let me look into that. Uh, but no, I have not, uh, Nemanja, as a matter of fact. And by the way, thank you for being so considerate to give me the actual pronunciation because everybody knows I really struggle with names. All right, Cloud Wings writes, Tom McFarlane trying to direct his movie kind of reminds me of Frank Miller and the spirit after shadowing Robert Rodriguez and Sin City total disaster. Yeah, I, I mean, listen, who doesn't love Frank Miller? Who doesn't love Frank Miller? But let's be honest. And I said this a long, long back in my movie blog days. I said just because Frank Miller, but John Frank Miller was the co-director of Sin City. Let's be clear here. Robert Rodriguez directed Sin City. All right. And he had Frank Miller there. Yeah. But let's be honest. Frank, uh, Robert Rodriguez directed that movie. It doesn't matter what Robert or Frank or whatever says. Frank Miller didn't know anything about directing. But because he's Frank Miller. And who doesn't love Frank Miller? But because he's Frank Miller and he had that directing credit on Sin City, they handed him a major motion picture to direct, even though he's really wasn't a director. And we got the spirit, which is one of the worst films like ever it's like one of the worst films almost ever and you see what happens when you take that type of material and put it into somebody who doesn't really know the director todd mcfarlane insisting that he wants a guy who is not a director knows nothing about directing um todd mcfarlane insisting that he's going to direct his own um spawn movie 
is the, it's the same situation. And that's why he's having a hard time, I think, getting investors to actually sign the checks because eh, you don't know what you're doing. But anyway, I, I think that's a good analogy, Cloud Wings. I, I really do. Well, Connor Forever writes, uh, this is our main event of the evening. Five rounds. Uh, winner rules the galaxy in, in their corners. Thanos, Darth Vader, General Zod, special guest referee Lex Luthor. It's time. Touch gloves. Let's get it on. And you know me. I'm always Darth Vader wins that fight. Darth Vader wins that fight. You know, he just uses the force, which apparently the force can do um, uh, FedEx. The force can do FedEx, according to the Rise of Skywalker. So all, you know, Thanos can go to snap his fingers and Darth Vader just goes, Voo, and now the, the, the glove's in his hand. So, I mean, yeah. So Darth Vader wins. Darth Vader wins all time, every time. All right. Wakanda Forever also writes, forget Batman versus Superman. I want to see Darkwing Duck versus Mighty Mouse. P.S. Just do Fat Wolverine. It worked for Thor. Hugh Jackman problem solved. But the problem with Hugh Jackman is not that he's out of shape. Hugh Jackman is in shape. He's just not looking like, like what he did in Wolverine. And your Wolverine, like your healing factor and everything should keep your body looking the way it looks, right? So, I mean, that's the bigger problem. So you don't, you can't do skinny Wolverine. You could do fat Wolverine before you do skinny Wolverine. But Hugh Jackman is like over the whole, you know, three hour a day lifting weights. I think he's just over that. Not to mention that, that like three pounds of chicken breast you have to eat per day. Remember, because he got his diet from Dwayne The Rock Johnson. He called Dwayne Johnson. Dwayne Johnson gave him his diet. It's, it's crazy, but he said, yeah, I just don't want to do that anymore. Wakanda Forever also writes, uh, I've been cooped up for too long time. No, I, I get it. We have all been there, Wakanda Forever. We have all been there, and we're all in it right now, so I totally feel you, brother. All right, Anthony Lucalano writes, stuck at home with the flu after getting my flu jab yesterday. How's that for irony? Um, so after watching Animal House this morning, I thought I'd change things up and watch The Devil's Backbone next. The Devil's Backbone. That is... The, that's the Guillermo del Toro film. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the older Guillermo del Toro film about the kid. Is, is that not the movie about the kid who, who just like at the haunted school? I think that's the one. Um, yeah, I think that's the one. Oh, it's a good one to watch if it's the one I'm thinking of. I'm probably totally thinking of the wrong film. But if that's the one, then yeah, check that one out. All right, Anthony also writes, this is my first time watching The Devil's Backbone. It's an older film too because I think it's like 2002, 2003 or somewhere around there. Or, oh, or was it like 2000? I don't know. I think it was like the early 2000s. Anyway, I could be wrong about it completely. All right. Uh, Buddy Christ, the original Jedi writes, you know, the more roles I see Daniel Radcliffe in, the more I can see him playing Wolverine. I never thought I'd say that about Harry F. and Potter, but great actors act no matter what the role is. Who knew? I think here's my one problem with Daniel Radcliffe. He still looks... Daniel Radcliffe is not a kid anymore, by the way. Let me look up here. Uh, Radcliffe age. Uh, how old is he now? Yeah, he's not a child anymore. He's 30 years old. He's 30 years old. I I don't know, though. He just doesn't, just in his face, I, I don't know. He just doesn't have that look. But listen, Daniel Radcliffe has proven he is a damn good actor. He's a damn good actor. I wouldn't put him on the Robert Pattinson level yet, but he has like, whether it's horns or whether like a, a lot of these smaller indie films he's done, he's followed the Robert Pattinson path. He's been doing a lot of smaller indie films and he's proven he's quite good. Let, let's put it this way, buddy Christ. If they were to announce he's playing Wolverine tomorrow, there'd be a lot of people upset, but I would go, okay, okay, let's see where this goes. Let's see. Where I'd, I'd at least be a little bit intrigued. Wouldn't be my, in my top 20 choices. But I would at least be a little bit intrigued because he's proving to be a pretty good actor, actually. All right. Um, M. Docher writes, 
Uh, here in Denmark, uh, the cinemas will open up on the 8th of June if Tenant won't run in the U.S. in July. Do you think it can open first in Europe and later in the USA? That's a good question because one of the big discussions going on about when to release these movies is that studios like global releases. I mean, if, if they separate by a few weeks, that's okay. But generally speaking, they like to have a global release of their films within a certain window of time, not on the same day, but within a certain confined window of time, you know, a few weeks difference, whatever. And if they can't open in the States, will they open in other countries? I don't know. One of the big things they'll be worried about is piracy. If the movie's open in other countries and not in the States, then the studios are going to be really, really worried about piracy. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe they could open it there first and they feel like, okay, okay, okay. We can't make our July 17th release date, but we know we can do August 1st. We know we can do August 1st. So just wait two weeks. If that's the case, maybe they keep that July 17th release date in some international markets if it's only like two weeks away before they open the States. But I think it would have to be a scenario like that. I think it would have to be a scenario like that. But we'll find out. We're getting closer. All right. Anthony Lucalano writes, just finished watching The Devil's Backbone because you're just watching it. They're so good. I think it might be my second. Okay, it is the Guillermo del Toro movie. Okay, there we go. I think it might be my second favorite Guillermo del Toro film now after Pan's Labyrinth. Ooh, that's a tall. That's. That's some big words there, because I mean, his other film, The Shape of Water, like one best picture at the Academy Awards. So that's that's some high praise for that movie, Anthony. I'm glad you enjoyed it, brother. All right. Best D14 writes uh, Rob, who's not here. Uh, you did the special features. Where's my 4K Lord of the Rings disc release? Also, uh, thank you guys for doing amazing work and giving us a sense of normalcy. Oh, thank you so much. And dude, thank you for being here and giving us a sense of normalcy. So thank you so much for that. Yeah, listen, that's been a, a topic of conversation a lot lately is where is the 4K release for uh, the 4K release for Lord of the Rings? Uh, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not a physical media guy. I'm not a physical media guy. So when people start asking, I'm like, I didn't even know there. I, I didn't even realize there wasn't a 4K release of it. I didn't even know that. But I'm hearing people talking about it. It's like, yeah, so that's something a lot of people are asking. I That's a good question. I don't know. I don't, I just assumed there was a 4K release. I didn't even know. But I'll tell you what, I will ask Rob that. Uh, see if he's got any insight. I mean, obviously, he has nothing to do with the decision-making process about that. But I'll see if he happens to know anything. All right, Nerds of Porn writes, did you see Connor call out Gaethje on social media? Yeah, Connor... Connor, all he's doing is flapping his gums. Connor had the opportunity to fight Justin Gaethje, right? When Connor McGregor had his fight with Donald Cowboy Cerrone, he had Justin Gaethje available. Justin Gaethje was willing and ready to fight um, Connor McGregor, but Connor McGregor chose the easier fight. He chose, and listen, Cowboy Donald Cowboy Cerrone could have beat him. It's possible he could have beat him. He's really good. But Justin Gaethje is better. And I think Conor McGregor knew that. And so Conor McGregor ducked Gaethje. Uh, so, yeah, he can talk now to try to stay relevant. He can talk, but that's all he's doing is talking. All right. Taylor Haywood writes, think Ted three uh, will happen in the next 10 years. Greetings from Victoria. Go Oilers. You know what? No, I don't. I don't think they're ever going to do another Ted. And I like the Ted movies. Uh, particularly the first one, but the second one had some majorly hilarious moments. Um, I am a fan of the Ted movies. I honestly don't think they're ever going to do a Ted three. I really don't. Not to mention um, 
Seth MacFarlane is getting busier and busier, and I really don't see him making Ted 3 a priority moving forward. So, no, I I, I don't think we're going to see a Ted 3 in the next few years, unfortunately, because I would see it. I would totally watch the hell out of that. All right. Donald Mex writes, and we just have time for a couple more here, guys. Uh, what's up? By the way, been a fan since the AMC days. Thank you so much, man. Have you heard about Disney Plus making sword series? Uh, the info is from Clans Marvel Sounds uh, is from clans uh marvel sounds made up if true awesome what are your thoughts on this yeah i saw that it's it's not it's not reliable information um it's come that came from uh 4chan i think it came from a a, a discussion board on 4chan which again one percent of the time something from 4chan turns out to be true but 99 out of 100 percent of the time uh, it doesn't so i would say it's not even worth talking about until a, a real legitimate place reports that once a real legitimate place reports that cool then we can discuss it uh but until then nah uh it's not even not even worth discussing it's not even worth discussing uh the wakanda forever writes i made I was made for loving you, baby. Now a guitar solo. Da, da. We were talking about we were talking about Kiss the other day. And it's like, isn't it crazy? Like Kiss, who's known as this metal band, and their biggest hit of all time was really a disco song. And eh, it's kind of funny. Um, we're coming forever. Also, right, stay safe and healthy, everyone, and productive. Love. Thank you so much for that, man. It's everybody needs a little bit more of that today. Uh, Donald Max also writes, "Hello again, John and crew." So I did some digging. It turns out there's a leaked photo of Wanda V. I don't know what Wanda uh, V is uh, with sword emblem in the background could mean anything. But man, I'd be super ghibli if this shows up again. I wouldn't pay any attention to it because, first of all, even if there was, let's say there was a sword show that was going to happen. If that was true, they certainly haven't started production on it. So I, I wouldn't again. I'm not saying it won't happen. I'm just saying until we hear from legitimate information sources, it's just not worth getting excited about because these things they're literally about 10 of these types types of things every day and it could turn out to be true but if it is true then it's going to get reported one of the legitimate sources and then it's worth us wasting our brain power over yeah for me whatever i don't like agents of shield i think it's a terrible show i think it's got some tremendously talented people in it uh like clark Gregg, who is awesome i'll watch and support Craig, clark Gregg do anything he's great and he's really good in that show i just think the writers are really bad on that show and i just think they've done a poor job with it so i'm not really interested in anything that's kind of a spinoff from that uh lamont smalls writes hey john rob still hopeful movie theaters are open in new york city by august been looking forward to seeing mulan for the longest time well if that's the case you need them open a little bit earlier than august you need them open by july 24th and i still think again we got to remember this is well over two months away i do think there is a solid chance that the theaters will be open under certain restrictions for sure but i do think they'll be open i wouldn't bet a 100 bucks on it but i i think they will be uh all right uh let's see uh jujitsu jt writes what are examples of bad but well-written films uh, I, i'd have to sit down and think about that I'd have to sit down to think uh, and think about that. Again, one of the examples that I brought up a little bit earlier was I thought the script to Clash of Titans, Clash of the Titans, the remake one with Sam Worthington. I thought the script was really good. Like I read the script and I thought this works. And then it is like, yeah, this is the same movie, but on screen, it doesn't work. I mean, so it's a weird thing. So that's the first thing off the top of my head. All right. The Mac guy writes, Disney owns Fox. Why not drop more facts? Fox, blah, blah, blah. Why not drop more Fox family-friendly content on Disney Plus and Hulu? I'm sure they will. I'm sure they've got a plan for that stuff. Listen, the whole reason that Disney bought Fox was not to get X-Men. They didn't care about that. 
I mean, they cared, but it was a tiny, tiny part of the reason. The reason Marvel or DC, try that again. The reason Disney bought Fox was for the library. That and the IP. That's why they bought Fox. So, you know, they have plans for all that content. They have plans for the content. Now, they a lot of this content might already be caught up in some other lease uh, licensing issues like, hey, Netflix has the license for that Fox property for at least two more years or blah. So they got to wait out a lot of stuff. But I believe they totally do uh, have a long term plan for that, Matt Guy. I totally because that's the reason they bought Fox in the first place. All right. Uh, Sammy Alrari writes. Thoughts on Interstellar. It's my favorite movie ever. The best experience I ever had in the movies. Nolan knows how to make the the audience feel like they're in the movie. Like Inception, I couldn't wait to sleep. Um, Honestly, Interstellar is my second least favorite Christopher Nolan film. It's my second least favorite Christopher Nolan film. Now, I like every Christopher Nolan film. (laughs) Like there's not a Christopher Nolan film that I dislike. I like them all. So out of all the Christopher Nolan films that I like, uh, Interstellar to me is the second least that I like. I still, I like Interstellar. I enjoy that film. Um, But I thought it was, I thought it was higher in concept than it was in execution. And I felt like no other filmmaker other than Christopher Nolan could have made that film and swung for the fences like he did and done any better. I think what he accomplished in that film was incredible, but I, there are issues with the movie I, to me, to me, like I'm not disparaging your experience of the film. Your experience of the film is your experience of the film, but mine was a little bit different. Uh, I had issues with the film in it overall, uh, an amazing accomplishment. Very, it's a good movie. I enjoy it. The only movie of Christopher Nolan's that I like, but like less is the dark Knight rises, which again, I like, I like the dark Knight rises. But it's my least favorite of Christopher Nolan's films. My second least favorite is Interstellar. Uh, but still, it, it's a concept-wise, it's one of the highest concept films that's been out in, in a lot of years. All right. And uh, last up, we'll just give some mentions. Uh, J- Jem- Jemaine Walker sends in a $150 super chat, dude. I don't know what to say. Thank you so much for the support, man. That's that's incredibly generous of you. Thank you so much for that. I really appreciate that, dude. And and he just sent it in just to send it in and be supportive. Thank you so much for that, man. I, I could sit here and just gush on that all day. But thank you, man. I really, really appreciate that. And Michelle Alexandria also sends in a super chat just to be supportive. Thank you so much. All right, guys. There are still a couple left, but we'll save those for tomorrow's show. Uh, so for everybody from uh, Joser, Miko, uh, Abdi, and everybody else up, we will start off the Super Chat part of the show tomorrow with your questions first, so we'll get to you you guys at the next one. All right, guys, that'll do it for today's installment of the John Campia Show. Thank you so much for being here, and seriously, guys, it, it's a tremendous honor. It really is that you guys choose to spend a part of your day here with us. Uh, it's an incredible honor. Like when I start the show saying, it's an honor and privilege. I, it's not just a line. I, it's, I'm incredibly honored that you guys would spend part of your day here with us. So thank you for that. Special thank you to all you guys who sent in the questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported the channel while you did it. And all of us here from me, Robert, Aaron, Jonathan, Ray, and on all of us here at the John Campy YouTube channel. Thank you guys very, very much for that. 
All right, guys, that will do it for me for now. Thanks so much for being here. My name is John Campia, and until next time, guys, bye-bye.